scare, entice, and invite children into the underbelly of life as we know it. Come on a journey with the Literary License Podcast as we explore in our Season 7 retrospective of Dark Family Films as part of our two-for-one. Your license podcast, and we're discussing dark family films. We'll be covering Return to Oz and Oz the Great and Powerful. And let's find out who's with us today. We got Sean Stefan with us. Hello, Sean. Hey, everyone. Joe Randazzle's with us. Hello, Joe. Hello, everyone. We got Vicky Ray with us. Hello, Vicky. What's left of me? <laughs> Hi, everybody. And I'm your host, Keith Shago. And let's find out what we've been up to, starting with you, Sean. What have you been up to since last time we saw you last week? Well, since last week, I oh, I did mention last week I found this great Japanese Yakuza film. I said it was called Raised to Kill. It's actually called Branded to Kill. And I highly recommend it. It's part of the Criterion Collection, Branded to Kill. What is uh, so it called? Like, branded Branded to, to Go. Branded okay. to Kill. Highly recommend yeah, it. Okay. But other than that, I have been mainly following the discourse online regarding the release of the Madam Web film. And it's fallout because it's utterly fascinating to me that this movie was even made. The star of the movie fired her entire agency after the release of the first trailer. This movie is coming out. And with the exception of the dress that both her and Sydney Sweeney were wearing, there is nothing good to come out of this entire movie. Aside from the dress they were wearing at the premiere, which is uh, quite lovely. This whole movie is a, Giant waste of time, waste of energy, waste of money, waste of everything. And I, I'm kind of baffled at the creative it's directions not, it's of not this. It's a Warner film, is it? No, it's a Sony uh, film. Sony. It's kind of explain. It, that's the problem. Sony, they're oh, they're, <laughs> they're they're kind of destined at this point to make Spider-Man movies without Spider-Man. And just roll the dice and hope that they work. And, Look, and they're still writing them like they're it's 1994. Why would they and do that? Money. I think it's a but huge cash grab. How do you have think, it without Spider-Man? You need the hero. Well, the problem is like from what funny, everything. The funny thing the, about this is that yeah. the, the the lead character from that, the lead actress, <laughs> she was before I left to move here on that Friday before, which is last week, she was on a talk show program, Norton, talking about how great a movie it was. <laughs> spin. Gotta do the spin. Gotta do the spin. And then, yeah. uh, you know, God bless her. She's doing whatever she can to spin this piece of crap. But she, I mean, the press tour has been fascinating to watch as she has been just 
openly and refreshingly honest about how, her experience, how she hated working with the green blue screen, how she said it was flat out chaotic to the point that she didn't know if her, her role would be any good, if she would be any good, if her dialogue would come off as natural. It doesn't. There are shots in the movie that break the 180 degree rule. She's looking into a car to try to save someone. She's a paramedic. And then the immediate next shot, she's looking back at herself. So it's like she's talking to herself. It's the biggest no-no in cinema that you can make. There's certain things that because it jars the entire audience. We, we are at the point where I'm just like, why was this made? And it also, I think the problem is they had these ideas in mind. We're going to pair them up with Disney. We're going to do these things. We're going to do this. They're doing the multiverse. So it doesn't matter what we can happen. We can make these movies. And if they do well, Disney will just pull them on over. That's what they did with Venom. That's what they, they could just pull it on over into their movies. Yeah. And the problem is they, they put no thought into making them and they sell Venom their was stars. So disappointing. And so was Black Adam. That's well, the, well, in the with Black Adam, that was a power grab by The Rock, and unfortunately, it didn't pay off. He 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 saw a week. I was kind of hoping uh, though, because I, I I you know. I kind well, he was he, the thing. Find the Rock, it funny he, in most of his movies. I like him. Well, the problem with The Rock, he saw he saw you know, basically a carcass that was festering in the form of the DCEU. And he said, maybe I could feast on it. Maybe I could do something with it. Maybe I could. And by the time he got it. Unfortunately, they had already shipped it off to somewhere else. And by the time the movie came out, they unfortunately told him, yeah, we're going in a different direction. It doesn't involve you. And he was cut out of the picture. Also, it didn't help that he kind of went above everyone to the higher, higher ups at Warner Brothers and set out. They cut out. He pissed people off along the way. Which um, is, yeah. It's interesting because when did that kick off? That weekend it opened? The, the in terms of the, the backlash or yeah, because the fun thing ahead of Disney yeah uh, Tuesday or Wednesday last week or a week ago from today I agree yeah yeah basically said that Disney for this year will not be re- they're only going to be releasing two films and no more films for the rest of the year yep and they're restructuring so it must be because of that are they they're, restructuring aren't they they're, they're it's a combination of three things one they're retooling the spider-man or not spider-man they're retooling both the star wars and the marvel universe in the sense that they're going to be doing the grogu and mandalorian that's coming out in 25 or 26 that's going to yeah, be the next wow. thing on their on their on their plate in terms of marvel they're just doing deadpool and i've, I've said before on the show and i'll say it again it's the perfect time for a deadpool movie Deadpool is a character that takes the piss out of everything, kind of, and ha- openly makes really, fun. Seriously, it is a smart move. And after 15 years of the Marvel Universe, or 16 or 17 or 18 years, we are at the point where, okay, let's deflate this balloon a little bit may- and patch it up a little bit and build it into something else. I don't know or, anybody that doesn't like the Deadpool. <laughs> and the fact that they're at, I love them. And they're bringing in Hugh Jackman again. It's the number one trailer, most viewed trailer on the history of in the history of YouTube. I'm People looking forward to it. People are excited for it. So well, we also know that, that there yeah. is a market for Deadpool humor anyway, because yes. we've seen that with Amazon's breakout hit, The Boys. Boys, yeah, yeah. So, Keep of that. I mean, that cartoon. Just watch the cartoon. Well, Keith, cartoon. Oh my god. <laughs> 
Well, I think I, I think as far as animation is concerned, Pixar's pulled back, and I think they're only going to release Moina, Moina or two, isn't it? Well, Pixar, Bob Iger has said flat out that they are no longer going to be relying or trying to create new IPs because they tried with in the Marvel universe with Shang Chi, and they tried with other ones too, and they and he flat out said, "You guys didn't see those movies, so we're going to go stick with the sequels." Well, there's so want- many of them. I think I've missed some, and I that's that's the thing. Yeah. I think I, I the market oversaturated. It's an oversaturated market at this point. So it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We have to move that, on. Yeah. I also think they have to be careful how they're getting their some of the sociological messaging that they're putting out. And I think sociological messaging is very important in film. Yeah. But I just bought Twilight Zone on Blu-ray, the the whole seat, the whole collection. And that's social messaging all the way through. Yeah. But you have to be clever with it. As soon, uh, they got to stop sermoning it and put it in your films, but put it in your films so you're not pointing fingers. There's at- ways to do it where it's subtle. And it's like, wow, that makes sense. I was going to say there, there's ways to do it when it's subtle. And I actually went back and I rewatched uh, Captain America and Winter Soldier, the TV series. The end of the show ends with a five minute monologue where Falcon is literally pointing at senators. You need to do better, Senator, and all and, and ranting at him. I'm like, oh, they, yeah, they go the great dictator like the Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, that, like literally Just like how on him where he's, where he's monologuing. That's great. Yeah, yeah. No, it's you need to do better, Senator, and ranting at the senators that they're not doing enough to actually help the community. I'm like, okay, I under at that point, I understand. Okay, you're a little bit too preachy because even I am like, you got it, guys, guys, pull it back a little bit, a little bit. People just want to go have fun and have watch an adventure. They they don't want to be preached at at any level. Nobody does. I go to escape. That's the thing. I go to a superhero movie to escape, and I'm not actually. Yeah, that officially you can basically comment on sociological issues, and the only genres that you can really get away with that is in horror and comedy. Yeah, yeah. pretty. Cool. So any, so if you try to slide this in with anything else, and if you do it in comedy, you have to you do if you do it in a very broad sense, you get away with it because that yeah. way you know you can. The you, only thing that horror also, ever taught me not about. to have sex as a teenager. That's the only thing I've learned from horror. <laughs> Well, if it follows, it follows is a very sociological film. It follows. There has been things like, you know, we've had horror films up through the ages. And even today, there are are very much commenting on the world we live today. And and the the message is there and it's very entertaining. And the thing is, is get out. Barbarian gave me claustrophobia, Sean, just so you Barbarian plays <laughs> on your own internal emotions and how you view everything. Because as soon as you see Bill Skarsgård open the door, you get this overwhelming dread. sense of dread. Even though he's fine. He's a complete, he's in a, an innocent character. But it's just, okay, it's the lengthy, the face, you know, he played Pennywise, all of that. And it fucks with you. And he does and he does it. And the director does it twice in the movie. Once with the Bill Skarsgård and once in the back half of the movie. Did quite we well the, with that, I might say, too. I, I love that movie. enjoyed the hell out of that movie. But the back half of the movie, when we see Richard Brake for the first time. His horror you fans. Richard Brake, you know he's a villain. There you go. As soon as you see, I mean, everyone, yeah, he's the night, he's, he's, the, he's the, uh, the night king or the ice king or the, the, the gnome king from uh, Game of Thrones. He, uh, he's the some people know him from that. the Mandalorian, where he plays the the evil empire. Doomhead, 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 Doomhead. 
Doomhead in 31. He plays the evil clown <laughs> whose nose is red because he bloodies it himself by punching himself. Shouldn't right, great I psycho. I never even thought of that, but yeah, he is the villain. All the he time. plays, I always say, if you want a good scumbag, call Richard Brake. And uh, <laughs> probably a lovely gentleman, probably a lovely human being. But if you need a good scumbag on screen, you call Richard Brake. And a uh, friend of the show, E.G. Daly, is sex head. Oh yes. Oh, I know. Isn't that head. crazy? She's so she she's great. She's so <laughs> tiny in that movie. I mean, but she's so vile and, and she's still at her age a very beautiful woman. She's she's a very beautiful, a beautiful girl woman. too. She'll never she'll never outgrow that cuteness. That girl's just got it for life. But I will say as far as just to put a bow on the Madam Web thing, I, my the thing that fascinates me about this is you have a star who's going out openly trashing this movie. You have producers who are saying you know, we're going to be releasing movies without Spider-Man in them going forward. They're not going to be connected to everything. I get the greed part, Sean, but I don't get how they're going to make money without it. Well, that's the thing. I don't think that they think they're going to make money. I think that they're trying to pocket their money. I I think that people are just pocketing money here at this point because there's no reasonable reason for them to keep putting it out other than to just hold on to the IP. And that might be the only reason why. That, that yeah, I was going to say that could be the only reason is the only we're going to hold on to this universe. If we, because I mean, even to, going back, a certain amount of movies, yeah, even going back thirty years, Roger Corman did that with the Fantastic Four. He was going to lose yeah. the rights to the Fantastic Four unless he released a movie. And to be he fair, made a movie with no intention of releasing it, just so he could extend his that hold on the Fantastic movie. Four movie that was made over the course of a weekend is better than the last four no Sony shit. movies combined. <laughs> Well, Live have you never seen it, Vicky? I mean, let's be honest. Hellraiser has been doing it for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's nothing for him, actually, probably. Well, yeah. In Hellraiser's case... together in three days. Yeah, in Hellraiser's case, they're they're taking, like, these scripts that they bought from, like, nobodies. Like, yeah, uh, yeah this kind of, is kind of a horror script. Here, Charlie, turn this into a Hellraiser script. Hey, it's a party, an internet party held in a haunted mansion, and it's going to be all basically... Jim, throw Pinhead in this. Hey, we got this uh, story about a guy, an amnesiac cop, who's having a lot of guilt trips and whatnot. Hey, let's throw Pinhead in it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, that's what they do. The most shocking <laughs> one I saw, I think I think I saw one of those direct-to-video ones, and I'm watching it because it was on telly for board, nothing else on. And Helen Lollipop came, came in and was like, what the fuck is she doing in this? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was, that was a case of her, either her and her husband's team were, were doing it. Yeah, the they were doing the effects. Yeah, that, was, uh, yeah. that, that was one of the ones without Doug Bradley, I think, right? Yeah, and I think it was after her son died, and I think that she kind of break. I'm just looking forward to the Planet of the Apes and Twisters coming out. <laughs> Twisters, Twisters, and surprisingly, it looks like the trailer looks it's so good. cheesy. Oh. Glenn, Glenn Howell seems like he's going to be a good a good star on the rise. He's got he's got a good charisma to him, and he's got a good line delivery. A lot. They of better have the cow scene in there. That's all I got to say. That cow scene better be in there. You're going to have many cows. You're going to have you're going to have cows. You're going to have horses. Get <laughs> all of the whole cattle. You're going to have Bristol doing the cattle drives across. They're going to superimpose the ghost of of Jack Palance, and you're going to have Curly coming back. With Billy Crystal, and they're going to be herding some cattle, and a tornado is going to sweep them up. Yeah, really. That one thing. So this is a backdoor sequel to City Slickers now. City Slickers <laughs> that three. One thing. Yes. <laughs> City Slickers three. Twister Twisters two. two. And with <laughs> and with any and with any luck, you know, they'll go to Gotham and they'll go to Metropolis and start sweeping them up as well. If we're lucky. 
everything's just gonna get swept up into one big franchise oh, at this point. No. You know it's gonna happen one day. Actually, Sean, this is this is one that might interest you. You Sean a couple years ago gave me he picked up a target for my birthday. He gave me three of these 100 movie box sets oh, and they're yeah. all like public domain movies. You know, it's, you know, not, you, you know, the horror one, there was one horror one, one Western one, and one sci-fi one. And each one had a films for 20 bucks. One of those type deals. And it was like, yeah, hundred movies for 20 bucks. And he was like, you know, Joe would appreciate these. And I do, because I I'm willing to, to give almost anything a shot. One of them actually that you brought, you, you, you mentioned Jack Palance. I was watching one a couple months back. It's a rip. It's a a riff on Westworld, called "Welcome to Blood City." The director. What stood out to me is Jack Palance is the lead in it, okay. and it's a director who directed a lot of Hammer films. So I watched it. I threw it on, and I'm like, "Oh my god, this is this is Westworld." They did a riff on the. You know, it came out after the Yul Brynner movie, so I'm like, "Oh my god, they made a rip off of Westworld with Jack Palance," and it's. I've it's, never heard you know, of that. I've never. It's uh, called "Welcome to Blood City." It's actually, it's okay, you know. It's I'll watch realize, anything with Jack Palance in it. I and that's the way I am. I see Jack Palance's name, I'm like, I will at least give it, you know, give it the old college try on that. But it's yeah, it's just a rip off of Westworld. Jack Palance is the lead. It's like it's fascinating. I have to check this out. Sounds like a good one. It's on. It's on this one of the sci-fi box sets you gave me. Okay. Well, welcome to what? Um. Welcome to what, Joe? Oh, welcome to Blood City. Blood City, okay. It's probably all over the place. It's a public domain movie. Yeah, I'll find it. I just um, sometimes you just have absolutely. I just get so bored with TV. That you guys have a suggestion, it's like oh, but you, I got a yeah. list that you guys. <laughs> but well, yeah, say, you know, yeah. as far as Madam right and Craven the and Craven the Hunter, like I remember, you know, a couple months ago when that trailer came out for Craven the Hunter. Sean came. Uh, Sean came into the living room. He's like, "Oh yeah, let's check this out." And I remember turning to him after the end of the trailer and going, "You know, we should just stop making movies. <laughs> like, like this is it. Like this is this, this is, is it. year of cinema. We're done. It's all downhill. Like it's just it's like Here's the this thing is, about that like, one too. It, it, the thing that boggles my mind is the fact that the direct the producers, excuse me, the producers for this film are already flat out saying that Spider Man is not in it and they need this movie to be a hit." In order to get the movie that we all want, so you're blackmailing. Which you're basically saying, they're you're holding the gun to the dog and saying, "Buy this magazine or we shoot it." it it's 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 National Lampoon. That's what it is. But see this cra- crappy R-rated Craven movie so that you can get Craven versus Spider-Man. Now, granted, we just had Spider-Man Two: The Video Game come out, and it's been a vi- and it's a very very well-selling video game, very popular video game. Craven is the villain of the video game. And they did an incredible, incredible story with that character. Will that be enough to make people want to see a movie about Craven, especially since you're going to take away pretty much everything that made the character in the video game interesting? And that's the thing. This is an origin story before he becomes Craven, where he's going up against his evil father, Craven Sr., played by Russell Crowe, and apparently he's going to be an animal lover and not someone who wants to hunt animals. So it's the exact, because, you know, you can't have a hunter be someone that, even though this is a villain, so it doesn't really matter if, I. it's one of those things where you're listening to 
algorithms and all the charts and all the people in the back. Well, we can't have it. It won't be marketable to certain people if you have a hunter who's going to be killing beautiful animals and, and you can't sell a movie with a character like that because people hate people like that. But at the same time, that's what the character is. So it's such bullshit and such asinine ways, an asinine way of thinking that it's eating its own tail. I think this company is eating its own tail uh, to the yeah, point that I mean, nothing good will come out. And they also have Venom 3 coming out at the end of the year. How? Why? What are they going to put in that? I've heard that they re- might do Spider-Man in that, but... We've reached a point where people get upset that villains in movies are doing villainous things. Yes, yes. You can't have like a racist. Have an can't have a racist degrade someone by calling someone a racist slur, but you could discuss. You could denigrate them and say that people are lesser forms of people. You could have that in, but you can't go the next step of using a racial slur. It's like you can. You can always have certain things that I've noticed about how you denigrate people uh, in movies now. Evil people can't be evil. Hateful people can't be hateful. And it's just. It's gotten to the point where it's kind of ridiculous. Like, how do you make in the heat of the night? You don't. You I'm know, dying like, to see how they do this Roadhouse movie. But then, <laughs> then again, but how? I mean, he can't even do a Die Hard film either. No, the last few Die Hard films were terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, once they decided to go PG-13 with them, it's like, well, well the yeah, whole think, point of these I, movies was I the think, violence. Um, but we're finding out now that Bruce Willis's degenerative disease started back at those some kind yeah, of shooting like, the gun under I, the I, table. I need, to, I need to get the mo- I need to get my money in because I'm not going to be making money soon. I got a feeling that because we're not finding out that he found out about this 15 years ago when it yeah. was starting. That was Die Hard Five. It's these out now because we're never going to be able to do another one. So. Well, I, there, 15 years ago was when they were starting to talking about uh, Die Hard in, at Nakatomi or at Nakatomi headquarters in Japan, and he was going to have a and do a Die Hard there. There's been rumors for a Die Hard sequel for 15 years, whether it be a prequel, book ended with him he saw, uh, getting an award with Al. It's like, not happening uh, now. No, now, well, now it's not never going to happen. So. The closest we got was the Die Hard battery commercial. Yeah, and unfortunately, him him having that because you and I were having fun, and we and I I went through oh, yeah. a period where I was like, hey, let's I'm gonna buy all these fucking cheap Bruce Willis movies out of the red box and keep them in the red box cases because these are just stupid, goofy, goofy movies. Yeah. And then you find out that he's doing it because he's sick, and I'm like, well, that takes. And he's all doing it for the most noble oh, reason possible. He's just like. The feed, he went, yeah, because he, he can't work anymore. He basically, The short version is when firing the gun under the table in the scene at Die Hard, it triggered something which uh, it started something which is called aphasia. It's like a version of dementia, and he can't speak. He can't speak at all. Yeah, he's lost the ability to speak at all now. And it has it affected his memory, so those movies, those, yeah. you know, 100 movies a year that he was doing there for a little while. He, he yeah, was doing the Brando like, thing with the earpiece. No, he, no, he, had a, he had an earpiece in, and they would have to say each word carefully so he could repeat it. And if you watch and if you, and if you watch a lot of those movies, you could tell it's he doesn't even know what's going on in the scene half the time. He's just kind of going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I did see yeah, him yeah, with we'll a movie, it, yeah. Jennifer, um, a beautiful Jennifer. Black hair. Jennifer Jennifer's uh, body. Oh, Megan, Fo- Megan Fox. Megan Fox. Fox, yeah. Um, I saw him in a movie with her. That was really kind of recent, actually. And you can That's tell one of the movies. Off. 
It was a the good word. movie, though. I really Surviving the Game, I think, was the one. Something like that. It was actually well, a good movie. Well, he's like, he's not like all of them. That's how I know that. If and Kevin was in them, they're usually good. That's what I And actually, I was I was friendly with two of the guys that made some of these movies, and they've deleted their social media since it came out that uh, that Bruce Willis was sick. And I'm like, oh, guys, you don't have to delete your social media. It's making you look kind of suspect. Why did um, they delete well, yeah, well, I mean, Because they were seen as taking advantage yeah, but, of him. I wonder if I wonder if it's the one that's the 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 back the behind the scenes footage has been released that. And you got the director yelling at him and he's crying. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen that. And he's, be- and he's being abused on set. And um, and then the, I think the actress that was with him had to stick up for him. Oh, wow. I, I haven't seen, seen that. I, I didn't know. That. Oh, I, no. I, maybe. I, mean, I don't know. It, I don't know it, what the director it, it, that was. It's terrible. You're thinking they're going. And he's and he's shaking. And he's crying. And he got to the point where he's like, he falls down to his knees and he doesn't know where he is. And the and the guy's throwing stuff at him, going, "Yeah, I hired you to do this." And, oh, it's just god awful. And you're thinking, what the hell? But I mean, if if it wasn't for his female his female lead, like like picked him up and took him off, and like we're not I'm, we're not shooting. This is it. We're walking and off. I I don't know which director this was. I haven't seen the footage, but I'm I'm. Clear I don't, of it's one of those films. Enough, it could be. I don't know which one it was. I'm clear of conscience enough to say this: whoever the director was, fuck you. If it wasn't for Bruce Willis being on that movie, you wouldn't have the money to make that. Movie. Yeah, amen. Bruce Willis was the reason you were making that movie. Bruce Willis was the reason you have the money to make that movie. It could have been. It could to be honest. It could be one of these director upstarts. You think you know? You know, like when you get like first time director and they come out, can't handle the pressure. Start going off, start yelling. They're over budget, over over time. They got the attitude. Yeah. Like they got the attitude. Even I'm paying you a million dollars for one day's work, and this is what you get. Just that fucking ego. Because at the end of the day, he was getting paid a million dollars for what was essentially a day's. And I'm not, and to be fair, he's earned the right. He's Bruce fucking Willis. He has earned that and more so. If Bruce but, Willis wasn't there, you wouldn't have the movie. Yeah, to, you wouldn't have the money exactly. to make that movie. I, so, I, I love. To be fair, no I like. I genuinely like De- Devin Sawa as an actor. I, I enjoy the hell out of him, Chucky. I, I don't usually go to see movies starring Devin Sawa. I had that's since the, Final it Destination. Always, it was so, always the usual yeah. suspects in these things. It was always the Devin Sawa, Frank Brillo. Yeah. Megan Fox was in a lot of Megan it. Fox, yeah. a couple of them. Yeah. But it's always the same crew of, uh, I'm going to get the same people. We're going to all do it. Yeah. B-level star who's like they wouldn't be able to carry a movie, but Bruce Willis is in it. So okay, we'll also get Devin Sawa. We'll also get Frank Grillo. You know, to be fair, yeah, Owen Wilson. So Joe, what are you getting up to? When was the last time I was here? Was it Southbound in Sin City? I think so. Uh, yeah, the anthology. Um, I'm finishing. Uh, I uh, Shutter sent me with our uh, Austin Jennings sent me what are going to be the last four movies I'm covering for Joe Bob because they're starting to, they're starting to film the next season. I can't say what they are because they do do those contests where you know if you guess the right, right movie you win a prize. But it's been super super cool. Man, you seem to like us. what I'm doing so hopefully this means what's up? You can tell us we won't tell anyone. <laughs> no. Okay guys just between us <laughs> I think I've actually messaged you what what, what the movies were because I've told you guys everybody on this knows what they are, but uh, it's it's been you know Justin Austin. If you guys do end up hearing this, it's been fucking great. I I've loved doing this. It's been my favorite job, probably ever. Hopefully, 
I'll be back next season. It's been an awesome, awesome experience. Oh, I bet you chocolate donut you'll be back next season. Yeah, Austin Austin seems to like the, uh, as he put it, the gusto that I've approached this with. Because they've given me some movies that were dogs, man. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that VHS one kills me every time. VHS I haven't seen. That's not one of the ones I'm doing. I don't know. Well, no, but they put it on for, I have such a hard time getting through. I've seen one. Oh, you mean the the first one? Oh, okay. I'm thinking the VHS movies, like the anthology movies. No, VHS. Shot on VHS movies. The shot on from like two seasons ago was uh, Sledgehammer and Things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, those are terrible. They're horrible. But he said he had to do them that day. He goes, "We have to do the VHS movies." Like, no, please, not on Friday. Please don't do them this night. But he did. The thing, the thing about Joe and and his craft and what he does and going into each episode, it's fascinating to watch. I'm glad that I have my computer in my room now, so I can give the guy space to actually work and not bother him. Because he's meticulous with these movies. He's going through, I'd say, probably in about seven to fifteen second chunks. I think that's fair to say. Seven to fifteen seconds each, and then just retyping everything that happens, imagery on the wall, if this kind of fits a certain motif, if this fits something, if this if this imagery fits into where his character development is, he writes that in. And it especially helps with a guy like Joe, who knows his shit. He, he knows what he's talking about. He knows his film history. He knows the director's intent with a lot of it, so he's giving little factoids. And it's fascinating to watch him get into, uh, into all this stuff. And when he's at the end of a movie... He can sometimes have twelve pages worth of notes in terms. But my of last, coverage. my last movie that I sent in, and I'm I'm working on another one now that might actually pass it. The last one that I finished and sent in a couple of days ago, the notes were twelve pages long. <laughs> so and I think I it's say, important, yeah, I think it's important that our um, audience realizes that the films that he's covering are normally like eighty to ninety-five minutes long. Yes, to put it in context. Yeah. It, so yeah, eighty to ninety-five minutes, broken down into fifteen seconds at a time, yeah. and then typing it out, and then fifteen seconds at a time, and then fifteen seconds at a time, and then as well as we never see Joe for weeks on end. <laughs> it takes me about a day to get through a movie when I'm doing them for 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 the notes. Yeah, and that's undistracted. That, and that's usually that's undistracted, yeah. Undistracted, no work, no un- completely untethered. I'm not coming in there harassing you or, or just like you know or whatever. You're yeah, here, it takes me about a cosmic Oreo actual work per movie. Yeah, and it's funny because I also work in a restaurant, and everyone at the restaurant's like, "Oh, so you just watch movies for the other job and get paid for it? That must be awesome." I'm like, no, I don't just watch no. movies. If my job was just watching all the movies on Shutter and doing nothing else, I'd be a millionaire because I'd just be watching all those movies and doing nothing. I'm like, it's taking me like six, seven hours per movie. And these, and I I'm have, showing them I like, have to watch the movie and dissect every frame. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's basically what it is. I have to dissect virtually yeah. every frame. And today, you know, I was watching a movie that I've seen before, and I, you know, Sean came into the room like he he had just taken a shower. He comes into the room, and I'm pa- I have it paused, and I'm typing in all this stuff. And 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 then I'm and then I look up and I notice what I pause on. I'm like, oh my god, look at the imagery in this. And I'm like, oh fuck, I gotta go put that in. So that's the other thing. It, I don't know if it's it's just his mental nut craziness or whatever. Yeah, he's just like, oh, I gotta go. He's a perfect guy for this job. A perfect guy for this job because I don't want to say it's OCD, but his OCD is working magic right now. Definitely OCD. I am obsessive with movies. That's not exactly a knock. It's a superpower in this case. It's my stock in trade. Yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, they, you know, the, if you really want to hear how my fucking brain operates, the episode of this podcast on uh, Mario Bava's Black Sabbath, go back and listen to that. <laughs> I remember it quite well, actually. We've given you shit about Mario Bava. Because I, because I also came in going, okay, well, there's two versions of this movie. There's the American version where the Italian version where it's just like I was all over the place. Well, and I watched both versions of the movie right before I come. Right before was I, it hope, you, I hope, I hope, I hope you understand with that one comment about Mario Bava. Now you're going to have to pay someone some money. I know somebody <laughs> heard you say Mario Bava. You'll probably be getting it. I have my I have my phone on uh, on uh, on Do Not Disturb, but I'll bet I'll uh, Shanta's uh, yeah, uh, Celeste. Her her spidey sense went off. He's yeah, her spidey. I just got a text from Shanta. Shanta, we're talking to you. He mentioned Bava. He mentioned Bava, Shanta. Go ahead, Sean, you're not on Do Not Disturb. Go, go text her and be like, Joe mentioned Mario Bava. Oh, I'm on Do Not Disturb, but I just know she knows. I just have a feeling. She knows. <laughs> she knows. She can feel it, she can feel it in the ethers. So. Yeah, besides that, like, I think you know, it's funny when she roasts you on Facebook. <laughs> all the time. All Or even there was, uh, we were recently, Sean... Sean and I were in Wisconsin at a film festival and we were watching a documentary and uh, Shanta was there with her husband. And as soon as Mario Bava's name came up in the documentary, I like look over and she's like two seats away from me, just staring a hole in me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, besides that working in a, you know, I work in a restaurant. We, you know, we just went through Super Bowl, and we were extremely busy and I was uh, I was manning the phones, and uh, as it turned out, my my manager came in. He's like, "Hey, hey, hey, no more, no more orders. Tell everybody we can't take any more orders until six thirty. That's super I'm like, hey, what about DoorDash, though? And apparently, DoorDash had run a promo where if you try to if you order something through them and you enter in this long promo code that was very very tiny on the screen, but if you enter it all incorrectly, you're entered to win something from every single Super Bowl ad. So all of a sudden, I'm sitting there. I'm holding hold that thought for a second. Let, let's just analyze that for the game show tax and everything that goes on with that. The show tax and what what happens with that when you donate or when you win a prize, you have to give away, I think, like 48% of it or 52% of it for tax purposes. And as a result, no matter what, if you win this thing, you're going to be on the hook for probably a million dollars or at least in terms of prizes and giveaways with everything that they're offering. It makes no sense. So I, I, I don't know. But yeah, uh, unless no one wins, unless no one wins. But yeah, there, it was basically you scan a barcode. You get entered in this thing. I'm at, I, I had the day off. So I'm sitting at home watching TV, watching commercials and, and relaxing. I get texts from him saying basically it's a the whole store is burning down. He's get they're so overwhelmed with orders that all the orders on our order tickets are merging together. So you have like a name, an order merged with another order merged with another name, all on one ticket. So the sh- so the chefs when they get everything, they're like, what the "Fuck, am I supposed to do here?" I mean, like because they don't know what they're making, they don't know who they're making it for, they don't know about pretty much anything that they're dealing with. And it's a it's an incredible nightmare. You were dealing with it firsthand. What what what? I mean, you were getting the brunt of it from the customers. Yeah, the last six hours of taking phone calls was me getting yelled at by DoorDash customers because I had blank tickets popping up and people calling me going, "Where's my food? It was supposed to be ready an hour and a half ago." And I'm like, 
I'm like, okay, I see it in front of me. Hang on. I'll print this out. I'll go to the kitchen be like, hey, do you have an order for this person? This is this, this. Like, no, we don't have that order. I run to the front, print the ticket, bring it to the kitchen. Six hours of running back and forth like that. And at one point, I had an angry customer on the phone with me. Put them on hold. Picked up. It was another customer angry. I'm writing down their names. I'm, I'm looking up their orders. I go to the front. Now all the DoorDash orders have disappeared. They're just not there anymore. But surely instead of the customer contacting the restaurant, shouldn't they be contacting DoorDash? Yeah. Well, that was the thing. It was a DoorDash issue, but they didn't because DoorDash is all automated. They don't have a customer service department. It's it's all like bots and apps and everything. And the DoorDashers so, were at the restaurant saying we didn't have the orders. They were calling the restaurant. So I'm like, oh, man. And I'm just getting yelled at for six hours on the phone, like from 430 to like nearly 10 o'clock. It's just me getting just screamed at. And I'm like, guys, it's not us. It's DoorDash. It's not us. It's DoorDash. And yeah, there's and then, pe- and then people wonder why people go go postal after a while. <laughs> <We're laughs> <we're laughs> my, 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 I don't my, go pick up my they, food. They I haven't told me, They told me I'd be out by seven. I was still there at ten o'clock because I was going to come home and finish finish up one of the movies I was doing for Shutter. And when I got home, I was so exhausted, I just passed out. I mean, another thing. I mean, I, what I find a bit amazing about it is that if Door, because obviously DoorDash, I. Does DoorDash go to specific? Uh, can they go to any restaurant? Yeah. Certain restaurants will do it with just Uber. Some will right. do it with DoorDash. Some will do it with other ones. But basically, yeah, you have to. they get a percentage of the overall sales. So it surprises me that DoorDash didn't. It sounds like they didn't even contact the restaurants that they were doing it. The were they? Were they no, we weren't contracts. ready for it. We weren't aware. Yeah, but yeah, that sounds like it was something done with cor- on a corporate level, and the stores did not know, had no knowledge whatsoever. But like so. having Black Friday sale on a Saturday in <laughs> April, not, <laughs> not telling the store that it's happening. So, uh. yeah, that's basically what happened. We were all like, "What the hell's going on?" And then we noticed all these all these orders that are getting messed up are all DoorDash. And when I got home, I looked on Twitter, and I saw the tweet from them, and I'm like, "That's what happened." Yeah, they crashed their own site and, or their own app, and as a result, we were getting blank tickets. Like we were getting tickets with like just a customer name and then nothing on it. Yeah, <laughs> and even showing that to the customers that didn't that, that didn't assuage them. Like, look, we're, we're they just are out for blood at that point. Yeah, and there's this, a you know there's this an, order from an from... ad that they ran during Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, the most, most watched Super Bowl of all time. Made money back yeah. on that on that ad, did they? <laughs> Their multi-million dollar ad. Yeah, so I, I'd, be, I'd be getting a ticket that would say, you know, Keith or Vicky, and then nothing on it. And I'm like, okay, well, I can see the Keith and Vicky placed orders, but I can't see what the order is. The one photo that you showed me, it showed like an, an order number, a name, a garbled order in between that was all like X's and binary, and it, with, with maybe like side sauce. And then another name, all in one ticket. It was ridiculous. So I was like, so this customer wants to eat this customer. Yeah, exactly. On the order, it would have been okay. Keith ordered, and then under the item, it was Vicky. I'm like, okay, well, one customer gets served to the other. I don't know what to do with this. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I had a hell, I had a day. I mean, I don't know what's going on in the world, but. People are too lazy to go get their own damn food. That's. I don't think. I don't think it's that. I think what the problem basically is is that I mean. You know, I'm not going to go into, I mean, we discussed what I've been going through since moving here, but we won't go into that. But the thing is, is like, 
you they're you're hiring companies to do stuff and they're not delivering whatsoever. And this this is not it's not like so the kid. I mean, this, this is a mess that you went through. But then you look at other things, just like what the hell has gone on in the world? Whatever happened to customer service? Yeah, customer service and whatever happened to like people are lazy. They don't making, think they make, the making a promise and not being able to commit to it and to follow it through. <laughs> yeah. Well, well one, you got a bunch of people working that don't want to work. Yeah. Well, I know, but the thing is, I don't really. Think they don't like their jobs. They're miserable. Yeah, that, you blame me for hating that job. I, I cannot blame you for hating that job. <laughs> I mean, I, I would I, hate I, it. I, to be honest, I don't think it's. I don't think it's the people working on the line. I think it's corporate level not being able yeah. to be able to absolutely communicate in a clear majority of fashion of what exactly of these want and what they expect. The majority of these problems are created by people who do not actually go to their own restaurants. That's yeah. the problem. Well, they don't know their customer base. Yeah. As I've often complained, as I've often complained, the people up top at corporate are people who never had their boots on the ground. So they don't understand like at the bottom level how it works. It and and they put on and, and also when you work in the service industry and you're and you're a server, you are the first line of defense. And a lot of times the and when I worked the Buffalo Wild Wings, yeah, we were we were at a point where basically they're like, Hey, you know, they're you handle this. If you need to get us involved, we'll we'll get involved. But you guys can really handle a lot of this stuff. And a lot of the times we were getting the barrage of everything from very angry people, very hostile people over no- nothing. The lack of a missing sauce in the grand scheme thing, really nothing that ca- that couldn't be fixed in a matter of seconds. But you deal with this barrage of things, and their problem and their way to solve every problem is just make it free. Give it for away for free, and when you get to that point, you you've created a culture where but I, I think that I think it's become toxic. It's not just only the service industry. I mean, from my old job, which I can now slag off because I'm no longer there. But yeah. the NHS, the NHS was like that. The National Health Service, which is healthcare, and I have to sit there and say that my man, I had twelve managers, and out of the twelve, one knew what they were doing, the other eleven didn't, and so they were coming up with these things. It's like, no, that's not going to work. And you're telling them they don't go to work and they're still pushing it through. So then what you get is all these patients calling and yelling and screaming because they're frustrated. And it's kind of really hard. And then if you're on front line, it's kind of hard not to get upset with the customer because in a way you kind of, you understand what the customer is going through. And that's that's where I was. I I got people on the phone who were like, this food was supposed to be here an hour and a half ago. Who's giving me a thumbs up? I don't understand what this you, is. You, you're, you're doing it yourself. There's a, a switch that if you hold your thumb up or something like that, it triggers <laughs> the emojis. Yeah. So, I'm, so yeah, like, yeah, I don't blame the people who are angry that like their food has taken an hour and a half. But at the same time, yelling at me isn't going to do anything about it. You know, I'm like, dude, I, I'm looking at a blank sheet here. Uh, like, I don't know what to tell you. Because of your DoorDash tragedy and everything that went on, that's why we're letting you, you know, boost yourself with the various things that are going on in the screen. <laughs> there it is! Oh my god! Got fireworks! Yeah, this is an audio podcast. Everybody listening has no idea what's going on. Is this work? No, it doesn't work. That's work for me. Uh, bring, them, bring them in closer together. Uh, the audio listeners are loving this. Yeah, I'm <laughs> stop. Yeah, this is peeping. That's what's going on. This is peak audio. This is peak audio podcast. We're fucking giving the screen a thumbs up and then watching the fireworks explode while nobody knows what's going on. Brilliant.
<laughs> younger <laughs> listeners are just like these the hell? Fucking boomers, man. Fucking boomers. <laughs> <laughs> and Vicky, what have you been up to since last time? I don't morning? think I can top that. Um, <laughs> I don't have fireworks going on behind me. So hold your thumbs up and apparently it'll happen. Didn't happen. <laughs> you gotta hold them up longer. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I got what did I do? Uh, <laughs> Well, I just got a Let's see what I've been doing. Stick dog. All stick this has to stay in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, gosh. Okay. I'm crying now. All right. Go ahead, Vicky. I'm sorry. Okay. Not a lot. You guys clearly got me beat in the busy department. I don't have fireworks going on behind me. That's for sure. Uh, what would I, what I do? Um, Sick dogs, sick kids, you name it. It's been kind of one of those weeks. But I finally watched Oppenheimer. Took forever to watch it. Finally watched it. Had to find three hours to watch it. What else did I watch? I started watching the old Twin Peaks because I just refused to watch anything that was made in 2020. And I hate new sitcoms. I hate regular TV. I hate cable. So I'm going back as much as I can to get out of the present day because I think it sucks. And so How far in are you? <laughs> but I missed, I forgot how weird Twin Peaks was for that. Oh, I love it. I love it, it so I, much. Oh, it's absolutely brilliant watching it older, you know. Yeah. I, it's it's so much more fun the second time around. Um, and I watched this weird little movie called I Kill Giants. This little girl kills giants and no one believes that there's giants and she kills them. But it was no, just one of those boring know. things at two o'clock in the morning, insomnia prevails kind of thing. Started watching this Hallmark series. It's called The Way Home. I'm into the second season. And I just finished the fourth episode. It's really quite good. I don't know. I don't usually watch a lot of Hallmark, but this is really good. I couldn't stop watching it. And let me see. What else have I been watching? Underground Monster. What a weird freaking movie that was. It's on Peacock. If you get a chance, just watch it for the monster. I'm using my phone for this. I can't mark it off like I usually mark off the movie. Underground Monster. But uh, other than that, we haven't really been doing much. I've got... I'm just trying to catch up with everything. Spring is starting to get here quick, and I still haven't seen him. He's in Texas, and I still haven't got out there because I need new tires on my car. So I can't do that till Thursday. My tires are like threadbare. <laughs> it's just like kind of sketch going out when it's raining, <laughs> especially. So, but not not much. And I would normally ask Keith what he's been up to besides moving. Keith, what have you been doing? We should vamp a little more. <laughs> so how far into Twin Peaks are you since you started rewatching it? I think I got into episode three because I just I happened to see it. And I just go, well, I'm going to start watching this again because I forgot how weird it was. And it, it is so weird. And then I remember I was working in a bookstore later on in life. But then she then they started coming out with the books and the <laughs> memoirs and all that other yep. stuff. And so, the, I mean, they said they were going to reboot it. It's like, please don't. Don't touch this. Just well, I don't think they're rebooting it. I think they're going to do another, another there, season. There I is think a, David Lynch's current project. Well, they, is. They've been rumors for a lot of years. There's this project he's been working on called Wisteria. 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 And a lot of people think it's a Twin Peaks spinoff. Possibly. I just want more Dougie Jones. Have, have That's all seen? I want. I want more Dougie Jones. I just Vicky, forgot how good it was. That Vicky, have you have you seen the most recent season from like 2017 yet? The Twin Peaks: The Return. It's no, I, have, I didn't even capper. know they did that. 
it is it's it's David Lynch comes and Mark Frost both come back. They both they David Lynch directs every episode. It's seventeen or eighteen episodes. Right. Uh, it I is, heard of it. It's called Twin Peaks: The Return. It is probably the first go through. Joe and I watched it and we got frustrated. We we were loving it, but we got frustrated. And then this, and then once you reach a certain point in the show, everything clicks, and you start thinking. Oh, it's one of those deals. And every seven from the prior. Well, it's one of those things where, yeah. As soon as Sean's done here, I'll tell you the proper order to watch everything. But go ahead. Yeah, but yeah, by the time because we watched, we watched the original series, then we watched Fire Walk with Me, then we watched the missing pieces and all that stuff, and and then we watched the return because it was right at the beginning of the pandemic too. So it was one of those things where like, you know what, the world's ending. Let's 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 we're stuck (laughs) at home. Let's go Lynchian. Yeah, we're stuck at home. Let's just go through the whole series. Yeah, yeah, you watched the the first, you know, the the original two hour movie where they find the body and everything. Yeah. Then you watch the series as you're watching now. After the after the second season is over, watch the movie Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. Okay. If you have access to it, you can watch the missing pieces. That's just parts of the parts of the movie that cut out. That yeah. But ultimately, if you don't watch them, it doesn't matter. But if you do watch it, that little. It adds a little context. There's a couple. There's a couple of scenes that actually do matter. It but, gives okay. it. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, then watch the Showtime series from 2017, Twin Peaks: The Return at the very I didn't end. Didn't even know they did that. Yeah, 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 cool. yeah something to look That's, forward to. Four years ago, four or five years ago, wasn't that? Yeah, it was, I want to say it was like 2017, 2018, something like that. I don't remember yeah. that for some reason. It's it's, good. it's, it's good. I, I had to recommend it. It's very good. In fact, what was it? Kahir's the cinema, I think, called it the best because it's technically counts as a movie because it was a mini series. <laughs> they called it the best movie of this century so far. No shit. It's yeah. it's it's honestly every time I've watched it all the way through, I want to say three or four times because it's one of those things where I've been so fascinated by it every time I see it. Well, a fascinating concept of the whole. Thing. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, David Lynch, he's obsessed with electrical currents and everything like that. And there's so many different ways that you can interpret everything. There's so much imagery in it early on in the, in the earlier episodes that pay off later back on. And every moment that he puts on screen matters. And the characters he created are just fascinating. It, the one, I will, uh, No spoilers, but there is one episode that is, I want to say about middle, halfway through, where... They, episode eight is the one I think you're talking about. Where yeah, it's the one. Just the creation of evil. The creation of evil spawned from from Los Alamos. Ironically, you mentioned Oppenheimer. I honestly think that combine that shot combined with Oppenheimer, it's it's a perfect little pairing in my opinion. <laughs> like, that was, that was that, that, this one episode and all of Oppenheimer. That was a wild movie. It's actually. A great, and honestly, it's a great pairing together because the way that David Lynch shoots a nuclear explosion, it is arguably the most one of the most beautiful things he's ever put on screen. And at the same time, fusion is good on the screen as long as it is in the backyard. What? That I am the water and I am the well. That whole thing. It's fucking eerie. Water and I am the well. Oh, it was such a good theory. Totally. And I got just glad to see the return of it. We were watching it when I was in college. It was such a big deal back then. There's a school of thought that Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive are also part of this, this universe. I can see where that could be interpreted as such. I definitely, I watched Lost Highway after this the, for the first time in years. 
after going through the entire Twin Peaks series. And I could not disconnect the two because it was so back. It was right back back. And I kept that turning to Joe and I'm like, no, he's going to the other place. And so that and it was just one of those things. I'm like, it's completely different, but I couldn't untangle that. And when, when I saw it, it was, it was, God, I got to go back. Gotta, you, you have the Blu-ray to Lost Highway, right? The Criterion Blu-ray? I got the Kino and I got the Criterion. Yeah. Watch the, watch the documentary on there. Pretty as a picture the art of David Lynch. It's one of the best documentaries. It's, it's available elsewhere, but it's definitely on the uh, Criterion. It's one of the best documentaries just following David Lynch as he's putting together Lost Highway. And it's amazing just watching his brain work. Just watching him, watching him as he creates the movie, watching as he he orders Angelo Badalamenti's score and he's playing it at times during the during the making of the movie so that he could kind of set the tone as Justin Thoreau is like walking through scenes. And he's like, no, here's where Angelo's music goes. And he's playing it exactly synced up to the way he wants Justin Thoreau to move. And it's very really really, really fascinating. And they go back and look at his his short films and they look at a racer head. And they do like a little moment in the middle where they talk about his career. Then they come back to, you know, present day 1996 where, you know, he's he's dealing with the cast and crew and he's 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 giving, you know, Richard Pryor, I think this is the last movie Richard Pryor ever made. You know, he's giving them their instructions and he's like very meticulous. He's built he like he goes to such a level that all the furniture you see on his movies are for bits of furniture that he himself created. Yeah. And he made oh, yeah. it himself in his, you know, in his garage. So yeah, it's it's a fascinating thing. So yeah, if you're out there, pretty as a picture, the art of David Lynch, if you want to get a good glimpse into how this man's mind works, fucking fascinating. I'll definitely check that out. I absolutely will. What I love about David Lynch, because I'm a huge David Lynch fan, the, surprisingly enough, the only film I really don't have a close connection with is The Eraserhead. I don't know why, it's just for some reason. That, there's I mean, something about that movie. Does I watched it, but it doesn't totally click. I thought okay, that's the same way. fucking movies it, I have ever seen. I think it's too out there. It does not help when you're watching it either. I but thought what it I would. love about David Lynch is that David Lynch films. That's just a weird. Movie. You have to let it wash over you, and I like the way that you. I'm you trying know, to raise your head. You can you can you cannot think about the film or what's going on when you're watching it. You let it wash over you. I tried for the raise. And then I always find like a day or two after watching some one of his films, you get that eureka moment where it all makes sense. Yeah. And he's yeah. the only director I know that can do that. I've I mean, never got the eureka moment with the race. I didn't get that with the well, eraser head. The only thing I felt with eraser head was I was very uncomfortable, and I think that's what he wanted. I think that was yeah, the yeah. whole point—the baby part and all that—that that was just fucking bizarre. And you know, and just you know, and after you know, you know, but then when you think that basically he can't make a regular movie, you get you know, I straight what is a straight story. I just straight I, story, I, Elephant Man. I was going to say the oh. Elephant Man. I always say the Elephant Man to, to people who say, "Oh, all this." But like, no, just because it's about a, an a, a, a interesting, deformed character doesn't mean it's not a straightforward movie. John like, Merrick. Uh, that was his name. John, John Merrick. Uh, the, the John Merrick. The Elephant Man. I have not cried as much as I have. That was watching just. A movie that was just it. awful. Every time I watch that movie, I just burst into tears. I'm like, it is, it's sad. It's about well, look at how sucks. human beings treat each other. Jesus, yeah. you know. I love that. But the thing it's is, so beautiful. But you know, thinking about the straight story and the straight story, yeah, you're right. In a way, it is his it. most straightforward story. Absolutely. It, but and it, it does have the one Lynch moment where he runs into that woman who 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 hit the deer. 
And that's the only moment that's like feels like it's out of any other David Lynch movie. I have to get Aside this from out the of the weirdness of of what's the actor's name? What's the lead actor's name? Is a stuntman, Richard Farnsworth. Richard Farnsworth. Just the fact that he's riding across the United States on a tractor to see his dying brother, played by Harry Dean Stanton, which is a weird thing, but it is a straightforward feel-good movie. But you get that one scene where he runs into the woman who hit the deer, and it's just like that's like, oh my god, this is David Lynch. <laughs> and in a way, it kind of feels like a callback scene to Wild at Heart, where Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern run into Cheryl and Finn mm. after she had been in that car accident, and she's just crying. She doesn't know what's going on. She's all disoriented. Then when she turns around, you see the gigantic hole in her head, and you're like, oh my God, this girl's going to die. Yeah. She's just in her last throes. Um, I just, I mean, I hope he's going to do something soon. He, oh, he, he's working on something. He's working on stuff. The, the pandemic really kind of fucked him up and wanted him and made him just want to stay in the house. He, he's openly been honest about it, but he stopped doing his number of the day and, and weather updates that he do, does on YouTube. He stopped doing that a couple of years ago. So which leads me to believe, okay, he's been active. Well, he's, he's been working on something, something called Wisteria. With something called Wisteria. And that's, that's all that's known about it is code name Wisteria. And I know... His uh, Kyle McLaughlin and a lot of people have been teasing stuff. I know I don't know what uh, if it's all connected. I know that Janus film or Janus films is going to be. They keep teasing that they will be handling the 4K remastering of Fire Walk with me. There's been a lot of allusions on Twitter that they're that they're doing it. They're they're throwing a lot of emojis and and retweets stuff that's saying basically yeah we're working on it. They might, they might, I, I know that too, because that, that would really benefit when it gets dark and then it becomes light at the end. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Another fucking weird movie. His movies, when yeah. he's at his best is when he's dealing with the, the dark underbelly of suburbia. suburbia. That's when he's at yeah. his best. And Blue Velvet's right there, man. Blue I mean, Velvet, I wild at heart. Oh, Oh, God. I love Mulholland Drive as well. That's another one of my favorites. I can watch that over and over, and you know, and that well, that one scene where it all switches when you know, when she's singing, yeah. when she's singing, crying, and then it we, we should reality. cover that movie on this podcast because I have so many ideas about what that movie's about. That's one we got to cover on here sometime. Show we, we'd have to we can't do yeah. like a two for part two for podcast. If I think if you do a David Lynch film, I think that has to be one film instead of a two for one. Six. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of them have to be one film because there's so much going on. Well, also Joe and I, when we watched, when I watched it with you for the first time, you had your whole way of thinking it in the mind you know, about who the girl was. And I came and I'm like, no, the movie's about her. And I had my completely different interpretation. And that's the beautiful thing about Lynch movies is, you can read whatever you want out of him, and he won't tell you if you're right or not because he's a bit of a scamp in that way. But uh, ah, yes, that's a lovely theory. Is it right? I ain't telling you. No. <laughs> well, Sergio Leone was like that too. And uh, once know, upon a time it. in America came out, there was a God. I forget who the uh, one of the journalists walked up to Sergio Leone at like the Cannes Film Festival where they showed the full. Four- Wait, oh no, what might not have been Cannes. I think they might have showed a butchered version. Oh, no, Khan showed the, the, the full version. Walked up to him and asked him, Maestro, what is the movie about? And he's like, I could tell you, but do you really want to know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Sergio Leone was like, no, I can absolutely tell you what I intended with this. And Lynch is the same way. He's like, I could tell you, but that would eliminate all the fun of it, man. 
If what Dave, if David Lynch one day tells us what all his movies are about, his movies are done as far as I'm concerned. I yeah. think I think what I think what makes David Lynch David Lynch is that I think it depends on who you are as a person and what you get yeah. out of it. I think everyone, I mean, I, I've had conversations with people about Blue Velvet and we've watched it at the same time and we all have different interpretations. Yeah. I've gone, I'm on Hall and everyone I've spoken to has a different interpretation because I think it's how you re, how it relates to you, not about how it's supposed to relate to the world, but how it re, relates to the individual. Exactly. And which is, and if you're able to do that successfully, which he does, I don't think, to be honest, you know, he's getting up there in age and one day he will pass from this mortal coil, hopefully a long time for now. But when he does, there's never going to be anyone that's ever equaled him or ever, or ever is going to, there's never going to. Honestly, be when I look back at the year that Mulholland Drive came out, I feel about Mulholland Drive the same way I feel about, about LA Confidential. It got robbed in the best picture category. Yeah. Because the films that came out in 2001, what was he up against? Gladiator, I think. Was this the better was it glad? Okay, yeah. I could forget if it was that or traffic that year. But it was either that or traffic. But either way, I think I think Mulholland drives a better movie than either one of those. But it wasn't it wasn't didn't Ridley Scott expecting an award years earlier? And I think that might be one of those. It might, yeah. Yeah, like like we always talk about the Oscars are years years behind because they're like, hey, you know, we really need to give this guy an Oscar because we never gave him one. And then you know, it's just elephant, David Lynch won for Elephant Man, didn't he? I think he got uh, well, now I got looked. I, no, I want to say he was not. Terms of Endearment won that year, I think. Yeah. Is it Elvin Man did win Oscars, though, I remember. I thought it did. I'm pretty it sure it did. It didn't win Best Picture. I don't think it, it didn't win Best Director. Maybe it got Best Screenplay or something. It might have gotten something like that. It yeah. Hurt, yeah. I'm pretty sure Hurt got nominated for Actor. Hurt I know may they, have won for Acting, maybe. It may have won for Acting. I know that they definitely won for Makeup and, and stuff like that, but... Which you know, you can't. Ava Bancroft for some reason got nominated for something in there. She might have. She, she might, might have nominated for it. That. I mean, I love Anne Bancroft. I really miss I her do now. Too. So do I. Oh my god. Mm. It was well, critical. Let's see. But it has eight Academy that... Award nominations: Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor. Yada yada yada. Didn't win. But it didn't win any. Didn't win any. Like it. It's yeah. I don't think he's won any. That's nominated thing. for I, I, Golden Globes. Yeah, he's never makeup. won it. Wait, Academy Award Best Makeup, Academy, yeah, Best Makeup. You're right. Best makeup. Uh, yeah, I did win it. I knew it won something, but then again, I guess um, he might be. I imagine. Well, from what we're understanding now with the way Hollywood's run at the moment, maybe he's just a bit too more too advanced for them. <laughs> it's possible. Maybe. It's so creatively, yeah. And my my go to year when I talk about this is always 1974 in the best actor category. And you guys might have heard me say this a hundred times at this point. The Oscars, for whatever reason, they go, "Hey, listen, we got to give it to this person because this person deserved it fucking ten years ago, and we didn't give it to them. So let's give it to them now." But all you're doing then is you're setting everybody else back because 1974. And I will always bring this up. The best actor category was between Albert Finney for Murder on the Orient Express, yep. Al Pacino for The Godfather Part Two, Dustin yep. Hoffman for Lenny Bruce, Jack Nicholson for Chinatown, and the winner, because none of those performances are remembered now, and this was clearly the winner. This was clearly the most deserving. Art Carney for Harry and Tonto. Yeah. Wow, right into the kisser. Yeah, that 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 was such a fucking bitch slap. That, that is. 
But they did it clearly because Art Carney was getting old and they wanted to. They well, wanted Art to Carney was a great guy, but you know, I'm sorry. I'm just not into a war. I just, I just don't do what do you call it? Trophies for participation. Well, I think everybody, if you deserve it, I wouldn't say it's a participation trophy. I feel like it's almost like a, like a, like a Thalberg award, like a, like a lifetime achievement, but there's a lifetime achievement award for that. Well, hold on there. The modern day equivalent of it is the honorary best supporting actor slash actress nod to the aging actor. That happens in every single category, every single, every single year happened last year. Jack Allen's. It's it's rare that it actually wins. I was thinking of Glorious Stewart in Titanic. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure I'm like yeah. I'm like there's I'm like yes we're giving it. She did fine in the movie. I'm sure there was an actor who gave a better. Really have what you call an Oscar award winning. That's performer. why. That's why I'm like it was no, that's just, just intermittent here and there. But with Titanic, you could also make the case that that was the biggest movie of all time at that. Point. No, and that's the reason why I did Braveheart come out that year. I'm like I'm sure that there were actors. Was that Braveheart ninety five? Dave was like before Titanic. Titanic was 97. Or 97. 97. Okay. I got it. But I think I was, I was in is one of the greatest movie makers of all time, never won an Oscar in his life, Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock. Though there, there's an asterisk because he directed one best picture winner in Rebecca. Rebecca. But yeah. that goes to the producer. That didn't go to him. That went to, that went to David O'Sullivan. Like, I don't think he really cares. He's. Well, he certainly doesn't, well, he doesn't anymore. He's fucking well, he don't now. I think the important. I think I think the important lesson to learn. And, but I don't think he cared. Well, I think an important lesson to learn, which I think Will Smith and Tom Cruise probably could learn from this, that maybe sometimes it's best just to do the work, and not do the work because you're expecting an award at the end of it. Yeah. Well, Tom I think Cruise is Cruise. humility. Cruise isn't doing that. I don't think he's expecting it. He did for he did for a while. Like born for a while, yeah. But you know what? As much as he aggravates me, I think that guy puts out a hell of a friggin' action movie. Yeah. I am never disappointed. Yes. In oh, any I'm, not, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going about. I'm not going. I'm not the going mummy, after. No. I'm not going after Tom. <laughs> no, I know going, you were, and I know you going after Will Smith. I'm just saying. What I'm saying is, you can always tell when they're chasing an award. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if they just pick the movie that would uh, just be excellent in it, and hold, and if it wins an award, great. If it doesn't, fine. That's a lot different than when you feel that they're chasing it. Yes, yeah. yeah. But in Tom Cruise's case, he won it, and then he just went back to doing his thing. He just likes making a good movie. He just yeah. and I'd rather have and, them make good movies, and it happens to be an Oscar-nominated film. Great. It's just like, and I, you know, I just don't want another in pursuit of happiness. Yeah. And I and you, I never thought I'd say, but I've been to Tom Cruise's movie every year because in the '90s I was like, okay, whatever. But now I'm looking forward to Tom Cruise's movies yeah. every year. I'm going to go back and actually look at some of them that I missed. That night and day one with Cameron Diaz, I keep on getting clips recommended to me for it, and I've been meaning to check it out for. He's a while. matured really well when it comes yes. to his craft and the way he does things. That we use an arms dealer, a drug smuggler, or the American Maid. I just saw that one recently too, and that was a really solid one too. Mission right. Impossible. I just watched his latest one. That was excellent. And it's going to be a Tom, part two. I can't best, wait for the guy. His best performance is Magnolia. Yeah. Also, yeah. And that was while he was chasing the Oscar. Though. Oh, wait, no, he already won it. No, he, he already won it. He'd already won it. Yeah. He already won it. And Magnolia, I mean, I mean, that's solely off, off piss for him. You know, the all American guy. Well, then you have Legend, it's, which is kind of sketch, but he was young when he made Legend. Yeah. <laughs> Legend was very early. 
We actually yeah, watched Legend a couple of months ago. And from what we learned from Scream, if you watch All the Right Moods, you get to see his penis. <laughs> I don't remember seeing any of that, man. You got to pause it. You have to pause it, yeah. You have to pause it at just the right moment. Yeah. But if you ever want to see Bruce Willis's penis, Color of Night. Yeah, I've seen that. Bring it back around to Bruce Willis. Bring it back all the way oh, I'm all over looking at celebrity dick. I'll have to sit there and get those movies. In that case, <laughs> Color of Night, if you want to see Bruce Willis's penis. The sad thing is, if he waited a five, five or six years, they might have been able to digitally made it larger. But <laughs> you know the oh, you know the funny thing is, he was in the pool. He in was the in the pool. One of one of my coworkers at work, he keeps trying to stump me with like these these movies that he feels are like you know like not 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 well known. Like he'll balloon. What the? I don't. Is that this? Is that what's doing the balloons? I'm learning so much today. But no, there's one guy at work. He keeps trying to get me with, he keeps trying to stump me. And he'll come up to me and be like, oh, this random Rutger Howard movie. Oh, is that the one where he fights a giant rat? So a couple weeks ago, he comes over to me and he's like, oh, okay, Joe, I got one for you. I know you've never seen this one, Color of Nine. I'm like, oh, you just learned about Bruce Willis's penis, didn't you? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm just I'll trying say. to get over the balloons and the fireworks. <laughs> I think when I did this, I think that brought up the balloons. Yeah, during this era of sexual erotic thrillers, we also got William Defoe having sex with Madonna, and the thing is, and they're having sex, and you can see his penis going in between her thighs against her stuff. On the Blu-ray, yeah, on the Blu-ray, you can see it. You can see it clear as day. So, the body of evidence. Body of evidence. Body of yeah, evidence. we watched it on the Fourth of July, and I had a God bless America. Infection. Huh? Oh yeah, you had a tooth infection at that point. I had a tooth infection, and the next morning when I woke up, it was complete. My mouth was completely swollen. Sean was driving me to the yeah. ER. Sean was driving me to the ER and be like, "Yo, yo, don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep. I, I need you to, I need you to stay awake." Because he was worried that I was like going to choke to death in my sleep because I wasn't able to like really swallow saliva. <laughs> and I and I remember telling him in the car, "I was like, there's no way I'm going to my grave with body of evidence being the last movie I saw." <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Keith, what have you been up to? Yeah, God dang, we're long-winded today, aren't we? Well, I moved to Dallas, so I arrived in Dallas on Thursday. It has some drama, which I won't discuss now. And as far as watching, because I'm in America, I've turned on the Tubi. Yeah. And, uh, oh, you got Tubi now. Yay. I have to sit there and say, though, I, I am, love Tubi. I'm very Welcome impressed. The trash TV smorgasbord game. I'm I love Tubi. And one of the best things I saw on Tubi is the film collection called Time Warp. Yes. Oh, okay. called films. I know what you're talking about. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, watch it. It is brilliant. I mean, they cover Rocky <laughs> Horror. They cover like really insecure. And they get the actors back to it's talk about cool. it. They've got all kinds of good stuff like that. I can't. I have Tubi on all the time. That's yeah. the, my go-to channel when I cannot find something. There is always some. Or freebies, good too. There's a bunch of them. Freebie, freebie. There's a bunch of them. I'll give you a list. I mean, what I'm going to do, I mean, I'm going to have to get Disney Plus because of this season, but fuck Disney Plus and fuck Hulu on Tubi all the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I love Tubi. That's what I'll be spending my time in Dallas doing. So, but yeah, so very, very impressed with that.
on that note, this brings us to Return to Oz, which basically is a 1985 dark fantasy film released by Walt Disney Pictures, co-written and directed by Walter Murch. It was Nicole Williamson, Jean Marsh, Piper Laurie, and Farag Zakbalk, um, I can never say her name, sorry, <laughs> as Dorothy Gale in her first screen role. The film is an unofficial sequel to the 1939 MGM film, The Wizard of Oz, and is based on Al Frank Baum's earliest 20th century Oz novels, mainly Ozmont of Oz from 1907. In the plot, an insomniac Dorothy returns to the land of Oz to find it has been conquered by the wicked Gnome King and his accomplice, Princess Moby. Dorothy must restore Oz with her new friends, Belina, TikTok, Jack Pumpkinhead, and the Gump. <laughs> I always want to say the Gimp. But anyway, in 1954, Walt Disney Production bought the film rights to Baum's remaining Oz books to use in the television series Disneyland. This led to a proposed live-action film, The Rainbow Road to Oz, which was never completed. Merch suggested making another Oz film in 1980. Dorothy approved, Disney approved the project as they were due to lose the film rights to the series. Though MGM was not involved in the production, Disney had to pay a large fee to use the ruby slippers created in the 1939 film. Return to Oz fell behind schedule during production, and following a change of Disney management, Merch was briefly fired. Return to Oz was released in theaters on June 21st, 1985. It performed poorly at the box office, grossing only $11.1 million in the United States on a $28 million budget, and received mixed reviews with critics praising the effects and performances, but criticizing the dark content and twisted visuals. However, it performed well outside the U.S. and, the, and especially in Europe, as since it acquired a cult following from the fans of Oz books, who regard it as the most faithful to all of L. Frank Baum's works. It received an Oscar nomination for Best Visual Effects. So what we're going to do is cut to the trailer up, Return to Oz, and be right back. This summer, Walt Disney Pictures presents a motion picture fantasy adventure beyond your fondest imagination. You'll be transported miraculously back to the enchanted land of Oz, that magical kingdom beloved by young and old for generations. It's just a yellow brick. No, Belina, you don't understand. This was the yellow brick road. You'll share with Dorothy Gale the shock of finding everything mysteriously changed. What's happened to everybody? And you'll delight with her discovery of four wonderful new friends who band together against a wicked queen and the dreaded Gnome King. This is the Oz you haven't seen before. And this is the Oz you'll want to visit again and again. From Walt Disney Pictures comes a whole new world of entertainment. Why don't we just fly back to Kansas? Return to Oz. Hello, welcome back to the Literary Lessons Podcast. We're discussing Return to Oz. So, Sean, what are your thoughts of Return to Oz? Give you my thoughts on Return to Oz. I'm going to take it back to 1990. I was a little kid going with my dad to the video store, Blockbuster, and I saw this story, or I saw this box art, and it showed Dorothy walking down the yellow brick road with a giant punk, pumpkin man behind her, the, the, the gump-type character on the side, and a robot Wilford Brimley on the other side of him. And I remember just thinking, I'm like, this is weird. I don't remember... And hearing anything about this, I picked it up and I said, Dad, can I rent this? I went home, 
I watched it. That night, I had horrible nightmares about Dean Marsh that <laughs> I that I, had, that, I ha, that I had not had since I was a smaller child seeing the movie Willow when she equally gave me nightmares as Queen Bedmorda. So is, I, I have had a phobia of Jean Marsh my entire life. She's probably a lovely <laughs> woman, very nice woman. But uh, whenever I see her, I, I my skin crawls a little just because I, I'm She's recoiled from like and, and think that she is such a good villain. She plays such an evil bitch. And everything that she that she is meant to play an evil bitch, she plays a great evil bitch. She so really is. She's fantastic. For you. It was so cathartic. cathartic. Cathartic for you to see her getting hit by a truck at the beginning of the changeling. Yes. <laughs> very, very cathartic. Yes, it was. <laughs> so Return to Oz, it's one of those movies that came from an era, the Don Bluth era of Disney, where we're all about just scaring children. And which it's a very that's uh, truth. Yeah, Watcher in the Woods was around this time. Something, <laughs> something wicked this way comes was around that time. This was Disney uh, children. Children should be frightened and afraid at all times. That's what it, that's the mentality <laughs> of Disney movies in this era. Children they need should be to scared get back to that. Yeah. That's what they need to get back. Well, it's, I, I was gonna say there's I forget the name of the the, the character, but there, there's a. A character in Japanese folklore that were that will come out the Namahagi or Namahaji that comes out and basically scares the youth. I know what you're talking the, the, about. The young babies horrifies them, and the and, and the and the parents love it's it because demon. it's no. I can't remember the name. Yeah, it's a, it's a demon, but it basically makes it the uh, the goal of it is to toughen you up, to make you stronger, to uh, and more prepared for the world. This is what Disney movies of this era were doing, in a way. They were they were hor- they were made by people who were heavily influenced by cocaine, in my opinion. And <laughs> as a result, they probably I mean, didn't, might be right. Sean. I don't think they were checking checking the boxes of what was appropriate, and they went over the line. The the scene. There's two things in this. Well, there's three things in this movie that horrify me. Uh, one in hindsight, it just as an adult thinking date guy. Hey, well, the, the Wheelers is number two, and and, yeah. uh, and Jean Marsh with her severed head room. Yeah, that was Eddie. But for me, now as an adult, much like The Exorcist, when I was a kid, it was you know, the vomiting, and the now as an adult, it's the, the feeling of Valen Burston and the horror that she's going through, and she's subjecting her daughter through all the tests. Now it's, okay, let's, let's, it's not an official sequel to The Wizard of Oz, but let's pick it up and pretend it is, because it picks up six months after the Wizard of Oz, six months after Dorothy goes to Oz. But in Auntie M and Uncle Henry's eyes, she was caught in a tornado. She took a bad spill in her bedroom. She took a bump on the head. And for the last six months, she won't shut up about Oz. She won't stop talking about Oz and all of her adventures. Well, naturally, Auntie M and Uncle Henry think, well, this girl's got a screw loose. She clearly has some trauma. Let's take her into town and get her electric shock therapy. Yeah, it's like, what the fuck? Electric shock therapy is adorable little girl with therapy for a 13-year-old girl who's who went through a horrible traumatic experience. Granted, it's two months shy of 1900. It's November right. 1899. That's what we're establishing. And right. it's, the, it's the new era, the era of electricity. And that's what the doctor says. And it's uh, supposed to be, they don't like it. It's supposed to be, I think where I read it, it's supposed to be one of the, it's supposed to be something about, keep going, I'll find it about the electricity. Well, yeah. So she, so they're subjecting this poor girl to electric shock therapy as their way to try to get the bad because th- she won't shut up about us. So while they're in this horrifying electricity is symbolizing of modern evil, whatever that means. Well, 
Well, well yeah, modern Evo. I mean, because if you think of 1907, electricity. Yeah. On the... Yeah. It's, it's, it's basically Mulholland Drive, but without a talking chicken. <laughs> I was going to say that's a very Lynchian way of thinking well, I, about it. I, yeah. I was just about to bring up. I was like, we were just talking about we were David just talking Lynch. About Lynch so, yeah. into this. <laughs> this is what David Lynch would give us if he was given yeah. the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So first, let's let's go back. So she is about to be. She's strapped to a table, about to get the therapy power outage, when the ghost from The Shining appears and unstraps her from the chair. I say the ghost from The Shining because this person does not actually exist in this world. She she's just she just shows up for convenience and unstraps her from the table. She gets whisked away in a flood and ends up in Oz. Now, as a kid, we're, I uh, watching this movie. We're learning all sorts of new things from the book: the deadly deserts, where if you touch the sand, you turn to sand. The Wheelers, the Gnome King, all the all these Jack Pumpkinhead, the army, the TikTok, the Army of Oz. I didn't know that because I I never read the books. I had only seen the thirty four movie. I always interpreted it as well when they were walking down the yellow brick road, they weren't just always singing. Maybe they talked about other things. Maybe when she was sitting in the chair getting unified before meeting the wizard. Maybe the hairdressers told her some stuff. Maybe I, I, I always kind of interpreted this movie in my mind. Now I know it's not, but I always interpreted it as if it was a direct sequel. And that kind of helped my and enhanced my viewing. Well, to be honest, is it is a direct sequel to the books. It right? is to, to the books, but not to the yeah, movie. See, earlier this month, we did Wizard of Oz, the book to screen, and we read the book. And the book is very, very dark. Oh, God, well, all of them are really dark. Next and, and honestly, and they were able to incorporate some of the original book into Oz of the Great and Powerful. We'll get to that later. But they're very dark books. Oh, and they're horrifying books. They've got Ozma and all that stuff in the other yeah. book. They don't really talk. All this. Well, this is actually pretty well close to the other book. I didn't start it yet, but I was cruising through them when I bought the original Wizard of Oz because it came with all the other books. Yeah. So. The thing is, when people think about The Wizard of Oz, everybody thinks of the 1939 movie, which is, you know, has some darkness in it, but it's overall, it's an MGM musical. Yeah. It's an MGM musical adaptation of The Wizard of Oz, so it wasn't going to get that dark. But if you watch any other Wizard of Oz screen adaptation... The silent film versions... The silent film move. The silent movies are nightmare fuel, too. Yeah. They are. <laughs> you know, everyone thinks Wizard yeah. of Oz is like you know this bright and shiny story, but no, the Wizard of Oz movies, aside from the '39 film and maybe a couple that were that were kind of riffs off of the '39 movie, like that made-for-TV Muppet one. The rest of them are all nightmare fuel because that's what the that's what the original novel was. Yeah, and I mean they're horror. It's a it's a hor- the visuals that they have. I, I think it was Jim Henson that helped with the uh, with the the effects on it. I, I could be mistaken if it was Jim Henson Productions that. Oh. Yeah. Did, but but the the visual of the Gnome King, the visual of the Wheelers, her as the queen, uh, Jean Marsh, with the severed heads, and I, and also as a kid, I wasn't picking up on the imagery when I was seeing when everybody was turned to stone because. In the course of six months of uh, when of I said Wendy as, as if it's Peter Pan. In the course of six months of Dorothy being gone from Oz, the whole place turns to shit. Yeah, and I was thinking about how this happened, and yes, it's a sequel of the books. So I'm like, well, you left the smartest man in charge because the uh, the wizard he flew the coop. He got on the hot air balloon. Right. He, he, he's out of there. 
So who did he declare to be the smartest person in town? Scarecrow. The Scarecrow. So the Scarecrow is now your king. And did, did he really have a brain or did he think he have a brain? Because within six months, the whole land of Oz turned into shit. The That's because of all the evil witches and the yes. no king. I know it's the no And they don't killers. kill anybody. Well, and also the visual. Is that the second movie? Well, the they both statu- did kill me. The, stat- the decapitated statues. And as a seven-year-old child seeing it, I wasn't interpreting that that's where all the heads in the glass cases were coming from. Right. I, I, and, you know, well, some of it's true. She got those dancing girls, remember? They I know, and, their heads. Well, that's the thing. I didn't, as a child, I didn't process that. I, I'm just I, I'm just thinking, no, that's just a creepy visual. I wasn't fully interpreting, you know, oh, God, shit, that's all their heads. I, I wasn't realizing it now I'm, I'm just like god this is really fucked up for a disney movie it is yeah. it was, well, to me, <laughs> it's like, after i watched the first time i go this is fucking dark yeah. god bless this era of disney. Are, they need to get back to it thing. outside of the 39 musical they're all dark i know yeah. It, yeah. Uh, i mean even even the animated movies that they would make of the wizard of oz are quite yeah yeah um, a, was he on drugs I'm not even trying to be facetious. No, See, I think either, I think either that or alcoholism. When he was starting to get delusional. Yeah. Oh, he was a delusional alky. Oh no, I don't know. That was just a joke. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I, I was going to say alcohol has never made me creative. No, but I, think, I think you have to look at. When there's a box set. <laughs> if you if you can track it down, it's kind of old now. I don't know. It, it might still be cheap. There was a box set put out by Brent, Brentwood Entertainment, like <laughs> like 15 years ago. That has like the old silent Wizard of Oz movies. It's it's a four movie box set, and I remember watching those, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Because they were all dark. Every Wizard of Oz, <laughs> like the, His Majesty the Scarecrow of Oz, dark as hell movie. The 1925 Wizard of Oz, which you could find in places, because Oliver Hardy has a part. Yeah, in it. I forgot yeah. about that one. So it's kind of it's kind of got its legs because Oliver Hardy's in it. That one's really, creepy. really dark. Creepy. But I also got to think that you got to look at the books as well. They were they're written at the turn of the century. Yeah. Um, in 1907, and another books, other books that were published in the turn of the century, which are dark books as well, which we tend to have this film filter over it. Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are dying left, right, and center of every single disease they can have, and you know, sits are going blind. The other stuff going in. We just lose Keith. Lucky if he lived to 50. <laughs> and that was old. That's true. So, yeah. You know, and another thing is children's novels are dark. I mean, we've covered so many with Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nymph. Yeah. Watership Grim's Down. Fairy Tale. Fair, I was going to say Grimm's Fairy Tales. Yeah. yeah. Fairy Tale. Snow White. All of that stuff. Snow White. They, they were preparing children for the inevitability of death. Yeah. Yes. Hans Christian. There was said. a lot of. A lot of childhood mortality. There was a lot of. We had plagues. We had disease. We had fucking everything. But it's but they're but they're dark. But they're lessons. This thing like and I mean the the thing about all these dark children books and I think to be honest, when it comes to Disney films, as dis you know live action Disney films, these are this block are some of the best stuff that they've done. Yeah, it is what put them on the map back in the day. Uh, well, I mean, every single one they did flopped, but at the same time, they're probably the best remembered. They're the ones that are well, best like Snow remembered. White and all that. No, no, he's talking well, about. Like, no, I'm, t- I'm talking about their live action. I'm not talking about their animation. Oh, I thought you were talking about their live their animation. Uh, yeah, you're talking about like something live- we could comes Watcher in the Woods. Gotcha, gotcha. Did we gotcha. Keith again? Old Yeller. 
things like that. Shaggy Dog. I mean, that this is this used to be their live action stuff. Gus, the football playing mule, the hunt, the greatest athlete with Kurt Russell. All those kind of films are kind of fluffy. And then we get to the 80s and it's like dark. Yeah. But then again, it does reflect the time because if you look at the 80s at this time period, what who what were we dealing with? Reaganomics. <laughs> Reagan. <laughs> so and some of the best horror films are coming out of the 80s during this period as well. So yeah. that's the thing. I mean, I it was a combination of just the free they were allowing the filmmakers a little bit more freedom to go with what they needed to. And one I, of my favorite money was flowing. That Disney did was during this time period as well. The Black Cauldron. Uh-huh. Another classic. dark I mean, one. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, I mean, this came out of the Don Bluth era of Disney where a lot of the films were designed to just kind of scare children. And this is one that feels like it. And you have also the, I mean, as this movie goes on and Dorothy goes further and further down the rabbit hole and seeing like how destroyed Oz has become and she meets her new friends, you meet, you know, this pumpkin head man that's made that's by the, way, the costume, the guy walking around the costume, I just felt for it because it's so lanky and and so like difficult to what he looked I, like I, pumpkin head. It looked like a guy <laughs> who was walking on stilts on the most uncomfortably built stilts ever made. And, and oh, I just look felt at the, for the that wheelie guy. guys there. Well, the wheelers, I did not realize it. The gentleman who played the lead talking wheeler, he actually does have a little bit of a career and has a little was part of a very well-known infamous, infamous movie. He played Theodore Rex in the infamous Theodore Rex movie with Whoopi Goldberg in <laughs> voice and movies ever made. Yeah, one of the worst literally the star of the movie was blackmailed into doing it because she agreed verbally to a contract and then upon realizing that she how what shit it was, dropped tried to drop out of the movie and was legally forced to do it. So that tells Whoopi you Goldberg, how, Whoopi Goldberg, how much heart Whoopi Goldberg had in this. This is right after Sister Act, right after winning the Oscar. She does a movie called Theodore Rex. And the balloons are flying for that. Because I, because <laughs> I was I was holding up the peace sign. I was, there, there they go. So that's the secret to the balloons is holding up two, two, two fingers. Because I was going to say for two years in a row, she made the worst fucking movie I could think of of that year. She made Theodore Rex in 1995 and Eddie in 1996. Oh, you just becomes, she's the limo driver. <laughs> he's the limo driver. That's like, oh, where the, the dicks are like, oh, you think you could do better? Why don't you coach the dicks? You just don't like it because it shows life. that a fan could a fan could come out of the stands and coach the Knicks better than what they actually do have. <laughs> that's the only reason why you don't like. I just it. want a talking chicken. I just want one so bad. After I got Belina, when I was a kid, I hated Belina. Now I don't mind Belina. Belina's sense of humor was actually quite sassy, and, and it was quite humorous to have. And, and she I didn't... laid her egg at exactly the right moment when she needed to. Egg ex machina. Yeah. Do I know when you need to? <laughs> That's what it was. Or eggs machina. Eggs machina. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I have to say, there are there is some curious casting, though. Yeah. Piper Laurie as Auntie M. At any point, I thought she really? was... Well, at one point, I thought, fair. I thought she was going to turn to Dorothy and goes, and he was weak. And he was weak. <laughs> <laughs> look at you. She looked like she was about to break into I buy Piper like, Laurie taking in Dorothy to get electric shock therapy, though. I could buy that a little bit more <laughs> easily. 
She's. I was surprised to see Piper Laurie as Honey Am, and I thought the same thing. I was thinking Carrie. Again, speaking of Twin Peaks, Piper Laurie. Yeah. Yeah. And what shocked me the most is that when Dorothy comes back to Kansas, she was actually looking for her because I didn't think she would look. I think she'd just be, I'm like, well, Well, they ditched her and put her in a mental. To be fair, Uncle Henry was coming in and then Auntie M kind of came out and laughed. She's like, oh, you're here. Well, I can't see the Auntie M of 1930-whatever putting Dorothy in getting electric shock. Okay, fast forward to the I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna be honest about Auntie M, the Auntie M character. Even in the 39 one, she's yeah. not a great, caring mother figure. No, she's, not, she's like I mean, Dorothy. Dorothy. I mean, to Judy Garland's Dorothy to, to the Auntie M. It's, it's almost like she is a ward of the state, and she's been placed there because no one else wants her. Yeah, but I so, feel like well, Auntie M's never been this warm character anyway. I don't know. In our mind's eye, we always think that Auntie M is like this warm character. But when you know, after rewatching The Wizard of Oz and now looking at this one, this, this one is special. Total bitch. I mean, Auntie You know, when you think of 1899, if one of your kids got sick and died, you'd just be like, well, one less plate for dinner tonight. You know, that's. Because that's and, how common it was back then. In 18, in terms of 1899, I'm an old man and I don't have many years left. Because well, the life, what was the life expectancy for men in 1899? Like, I think Keith was saying it's like 50. Yeah. Well, another thing I found out about the whole thing is the uncle is just like a henpecked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It really is. Oh yeah. And in both versions as well, you're like. Because in the first version, when you know Miss Gulch comes and takes Dorothy away, and he's like, "You can do that," and um, and the Auntie M speaks up, "Yeah, well, that's ever done that sort of thing," and he just shuts up and goes like, hides under, you know, hides back into his newspaper. In this one, he's just basically looking for Lauren. It's like he's starting to finish this house, and he's just got, he's just you know basically not even hammering. He's just looking at the ferry, going, "What the hell am I going to do?" He's just crazy. <laughs> I do have one question though, because in watching this movie, I I, I didn't register. I, I guess I just interpreted it as a child that when Jean Marsh is getting taken away at the end, it, when they're back in Kansas and she's getting rolled away in, in by the by the police, why is that happening? I think to be honest, I think this is where it gets. I think this is where they get it, get, it got sloppy, and this is where I think okay. they shouldn't have done that because what I think they did was. Because at the end of the original Wizard of Oz, you have all the characters come back as their yeah. their, their human selves, and that it was a dream sequence. Yeah. yeah. And I think what they want to do is they want to e- mirror that or emulate that. So they had Gene Marsh come back, and but it didn't make sense because. And what did fact, she do that was well, wrong? No, well, well, she well, was abusive well, to Dorothy, though. No, she no, around. she wasn't. Well, what did she do that was I, illegal? That's the thing. She did nothing illegal and she wasn't abusive to Dorothy. She if was anyone, abusive to Dorothy anyone, and Oz, not yeah. Kansas. If anyone, I mean, it, it, and this is what's weird about the Gene That Marsh. is a good question, though, but you're right. Well, well, the thing that the Gene Marsh character is that Dorothy goes running out into the rain with, and I, we don't know if, well, she can we see the Gene Marsh does see the Ozma character in the flash. Because, yeah. right. like, oh, oh, it's you. But then they go running out. So she's running after her. And then she throws herself in the river to try to rescue them. And that's, that's the reason why, in, from her eyes, 
her charge is getting flushed down the river, okay. washed away, and she's she's horrified trying to get her to save the child, the patient, who's trying to do... She's yeah, I guess you're thing. right. Fest, yeah. no, we, we find out that Nicole Williamson, the great Merlin from Excalibur, who played the Doctor and the Gnome King, he, he gets the... He goes in back into the sanitarium to save his machines, right. and as a result... His his whole thing he dies when the whole thing burns down. Right. But with the exception of a throwaway line about patients in the basement who are upset, there's one throwaway line and Ozma is rescuing Dorothy and unstrapping her. She says, like, oh what what's where those screams coming from? Oh, they're from the patient, the upset patients in the basement. Well, okay, are they keeping people down? Probably illegal. Yeah, but at the same time, if it's in a sanitarium and you do have unruly patients, you would separate them. And back in those days, you would probably put them on. I can't imagine being in so one I now, think, let alone one 150 years, it, 200 years it, ago. It, well, did, it didn't make any sense. Why I, I understand the visual of, you know, you need the payoff to see that she got her comeuppance. And, and the visual of, in Oz, he put her in the very tiny cage. And, and so that in the real world, she's in a similar tiny cage being taken off. It didn't, and it didn't happen with the Wicked Wish. Wicked Witch. Right. She just got. We didn't get to see that or her get her come up in, in the real world. My, my, it just, it didn't make any sense why she was being taken away, and they didn't really. Because at the end of the day, her boss just got burned alive in in a sanitarium, and she was just doing her job, which was one hundred percent legal, unethical. In hindsight, one hundred percent. 100% horrible medical practice, but at the same time... Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't really What did think she do that was illegal? That so that, that's that's my question coming out of this. And I, I, honestly, Vicky, 150 years ago, you you would be in a sanitarium because you, you, uh, you'd you speak to men in a way as if you're an authority on anything. And 150 years ago, that was a big no-no. <laughs> Being a woman... <laughs> the I would not have survived men, those times. It's not, so I used to woman. have these kinds of conversations with us. You'd Being be a sense. woman, you know, that would survive in those times, being raised in these times. Nope. <laughs> I mean... I, th- I think, I, th- I mean, unfortunately, because I think they wanted to mirror that. It's like, okay, you know, that, that, that she's gone into a dream world again, where it's in the books, Oz is a real place. So it's not like she's not reseeing people that she saw in, in Kansas right. here is something else in Oz. So I think they wanted to mirror that. And I think that's where the movie kind of falls apart a bit, because at the end of the day, the real villain of the case is the doctor, because he is selling this. I mean, basically, he's like the same kind of traveling salesman who's, sail- who's selling little ointments going to cure all your ills. Is that kind of, you know, well, that kind of person? My, so he, my friend, the machine, it has a face. It even has a little tongue, you know, trying to... The, the way he humanizes the machine to the little girl is just kind of, what it's very creepy. Like, it's very creepy, yeah. I loved him, Norma. I hated watching him in this role because I associated with Merlin and Nice gentlemanly roles. <laughs> going, but, I, going back, but, I think, but I think here is, and then, and this is this is another thing that's a bit odd about. I mean, the odd bit works great. It's the human, the, the Kansas side, because Auntie Anne drops her off, and then they take her upstairs, and it's like this plush-looking house until they get upstairs, and it looks very much like a Victorian war. And you're kind of going. You know, and so, and then, and because Jean Marsh is the nurse or the housekeeper, I mean, she's not performing. She's not performing this experiment or anything like this. No, that's true. Because, because, she, she, 
the sis. I guess she's the bad what guy. What is she by wearing, me. too, as a nurse? <laughs> what the hell is she wearing? She looks like the woman in black. Yeah. That's what does. I thought. Exactly like the woman in black from the 1981. Yeah, the 1989 version. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, but the thing is, is like, I mean, the way she's dressed anyway is very, very, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, let's stick to some of the same the same eras as Little House and the Prairie. Mrs. Olsen with the same bloody thing. I mean, it's the same right. thing with the puff sleeves and the and, and right. Jean Marsh. Jean Marsh is very thin, so therefore, she, you know, she's got the puff sleeves, so therefore, it kind of gives her that slim. What was the it style? Just like, maybe she's a widow, and they didn't say anything. Maybe she's a widow, and that's why she's. Again, the is, there's so much. There's so much that's lost in the interpretation because they, that they could have been le- left in, well, but they just didn't. But one thing Keith was saying going going back and yeah, in the novels, Oz is a real place. But when you consider that 1939 is the definitive version of the Wizard of Oz right. as we see it in film. Right. If you think about the 1930s, even in horror movies, they were getting aside from Dracula, which is the only one I can think of, if there was anything supernatural happening, happening in the horror movies, they would explain it away somehow at the end. They were really skittish about doing anything where anything outside or anything supernatural could really happen. Like right. if you watch... Ah, the remake of uh, London After Midnight because London After Midnight doesn't exist. The top they remade it in 1935 with Bella Lugosi. At the end, spoiler for those of you who haven't seen this 90 year old movie, at the end the vampire turns out to be somebody you know in uh, you know somebody dressed up and pretending to be a vampire. It's not real, so I can see why in 1939, especially for an MGM musical, they're going to want to get away from the idea of Oz being an existing place and making it into a dream sequence. So I think that plays into it too. <laughs> that plays well, into why you have it. But I think you have to also compare it to when Shirley Temple lost out to Dor- to Judy Garland in the original. She did the Bluebird. Yeah. And if you get the Bluebird, the Bluebird's a very very dark film, and it yeah, like No Tomorrow. That so, one freaked me out when I was little because everybody was in heaven and they had to be born to their parents and they they the well, didn't want to be separated, be born to different families. That was pretty. But another thing that was happening with the MGM 1939 Wizard of Oz is the war was starting in Europe as well. True. So maybe you know maybe they decided that they didn't want to go too dark because we need to lift people's spirits up a little bit. And maybe and maybe that's the reason, but. You know, and I can understand, you know, and the whole thing about people, you know, the the depression was just about the, you know, people had people had to move places to find work. They had to leave their families behind and everything like this. And that whole thing is there's no place like home. Right. Huge part. And if you look at Americana history in 1939 to not, you know, well, from 1935 to 1940, there is a, you know, whether it's the Andrews sisters or, or anything, all the music that was coming out of that time was all about finding your way back home again. And so I think, and so I think that's influences the 1939 wizard of Oz. Which, as a movie on its own, I think it's fine. I think that if you're going to adapt a sequel like they did here, that I don't think that bringing you know Jean Marsh's character into Oz and then have her pay the consequences later on, because what we have is it's the doctor that's the evil doctor or the evil genius. She is kind of like the employee, and he dies, so she so she has to take full responsibility for his actions 
that's the thing yeah. that, that j- just it it threw me on on the rewatch recently. It was just I'm like, I, yeah, you I and I make sense. Yeah, yeah, she didn't do anything in real life. What did she do? But the other, I, but the other question lies. I like, will look it. But the other question is, is like, where where is the evil doctor? How come he's not in Oz? No, he, he is. is. From the, he's the gnome king. Yeah. Oh, is he the gnome king? Okay. He's the gnome king. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because but you can actually when, when right. the more right. and more people when when they go into the emerald chamber, that's what I'm just going to call it, the ornament chamber. The and everyone gets torn and turned into the emerald ornaments. He becomes more and more human. And it's 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 like the more and more people he absorbs, the more human he becomes. They didn't; it wasn't really told that way, but that's the visual that you were getting: is each person getting gets absorbed and becoming an ornament, the more and more human-like he was becoming. And I guess if he got if he absorbed Dorothy, who is the mythical being of Oz and the the great savior, then she will then he will become fully. He'll truly be the king. Maybe I, I don't know. They didn't go into it, but that was the visual that they were in, that they were giving off. So yeah, he. But that was Nicole Williamson the entire time. The great Merlin from Excalibur, and the priest from Exorcist Three. Oh. Those many other things. Those are the two things I love him from. But overall, I think I think the movie does work. And oh of- no, it, I more so as I get older. It really does work. It's 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 in a very very effective kids movie that Obviously, definitely a lot of sticks don't with know you. Why she was arrested either? It's it's a it doesn't make any sense. She's carted away for her crimes in another place in a, in, a, in an imaginary. Oh, see, the world. doctor died. Remember, because he's trying to find his. Keep, he he went to go to inside. To yeah, the storm the the storm caused a fire. He went back inside. We to, see to, the nurse Wilson arrested and locked up in a cage on a horse buggy upon returning to the farmhouse, and that's it. But we don't know. So you're the, right. I didn't even think that. That that's that was the thing that I was. Like, what is he doing? Is he, yes, we all agree. Giving electric shock therapy to a 13 year old girl whose dreams of an imaginary place is not the right way of handling things. I think we can all agree that. But at the same time, 1899, did she, was anything wrong here? No? She's arrested, but they're saying she's abusive, so I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe she was abusive to other things, but that wasn't displayed? That wasn't thing? She strapped the girl down to... She was scary looking, but you're right. I never... Scary looking is not a crime. If being scary looking was was a crime, I have many friends who would be uh, arrested. (laughs) Joe, stop flipping me off. Joe, stop flipping me off. (laughs) No, the point point is that she didn't do anything wrong that was felt. Not on screen, at least. On screen, no. She was... She was on screen in the real world. I wonder if there's she something was they left to out. The movie. That was, was there, it. There was a scene maybe they left out, and that was they I, just did. I think, I think no what happened with that, that scene. Well, when I said in the um, beginning is that they fired the director short. No, that's right. That's right. So I'm kind of wondering if the reason why they fired him is that Disney might have stepped in and goes. What we what we need to do here is that we need to bring her back in situation into right. that, and so maybe they maybe they rewrote a little bit of the about in the order to bring that forward, and maybe that maybe there was maybe that was the problem that was going on because from what I can see, 
all the money that this movie was being spent on is on the screen. It doesn't look like there, and you know, didn't I mean Piper Laurie wouldn't in nineteen eighty five wouldn't not have been asking for a huge amount of money. No, Dean Marsh would not be asking for a huge amount of money. And so also, the, how much of how much of it is the actor paid? Get paid proportionately. So all the money being spent is on the screen with the set yeah. special effects and stuff like yeah. this. The only question I have is about the wheelies a little bit because this looks like a leftover from the Wiz a little bit. Kind of, kind of. I was a lot that. of this, it seems like leftovers from the Wiz. Leftovers when did the Wiz come out? out? This is 1985. 82? Yeah, about I want to say 82. I can't remember. 81, 82? Yeah, around 82, because it came out around the same time as Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts. Club. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. right. Yeah. Bee Gees and Peter Frampton acting. Yay. Well, not acting. Doing a long music video. I was going to say, that, that wasn't really acting. They, they tried in fact. <laughs> <laughs> the Raspberry goes to. So, so I'm kind of wondering if there's been a little... Because I got a feeling that there does seem to be a, somebody behind the scenes playing around with things. Yeah. And I think and I think they played around with the wheelies because when you when you see the wheelies in the book, they they are totally different. They're not they're not basically walking roller skates. Yeah, they're not they're not like something out of a Spielberg hook film. Didn't they remind you of pulp fiction things? It was like pulp fiction to me, the wheelers were I don't know why they just Well they 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 kind of remind me of um basically why what what's chase was chasing and a 40 year old Dorothy in the whiz, you know, that yeah. had that kind of feel to it. And it's like, Oh, we're street kids. Oh yeah. We're, 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 yeah. You know, we're going to street dance when we get done with this. And we're going to boogaloo later. It had that look, kind of feel, feel to it. That could um, not have been a pleasant shoot to be one of those crouched over like this the whole time. Well, the guy that played Theodore Rex, he's a puppeteer by trade. So I think naturally he's maybe being used to contorting in different angles to get, get his shots. But yeah, uh, for the most of the point, that looks so damn. I wonder how many takes they made us wiped out a million times. You know, I mean, yeah. you're just basically you're you're like a quad. You're you're just holding yourself like well, like that and just slowly creeping along. But see, another like, problem. Another problem with the wheelies is this, which the wheelies are fine if you're running around on a flat surface, but all you have to do is run up the stairs. Well, that's the thing, Dorothy. Run up those stairs. And then there was wheelies at the top of the stairs. I'm like, so just stand in the center of the stairs. Precisely. You'll be, you'll fine. be fine. You'll be fine. You'll wear them yeah. out. But what I did like about the film that really, really impressed me is when you do see the scarecrow and you do see the cowardly lion and they do come back and they do, they are spitting images of the original illustration <laughs> of the books. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I thought. Absolutely. And, I, and so that's why I think when it came to the wee leaves and stuff like this, I don't know if that was a director's interpretation because if that was, I, I got a feeling we would have had a redesign of everything to flash back to something more modern, whatever. So because he did that and the way the rest of the movie looks and the way everything looks and, and matches the book illustrations, that's why I kind of wonder if there was a little bit of tinkering going on from Disney, which is very possible. Very possible. And Walter Murch, as far as I could see, never directed a movie again. So this was it for him. Yeah, he uh, style. It lost a lot of money, but that's a th I get it. It lost half its budget, but it's it. 
it did have a good visual style, and I could see maybe him doing something at a smaller scale. But yeah, what, what he should have done is he should have gone to Europe and directed movies there because Europe they loved this film. But Europe is a bit a uh, Europe. I think Europe and the rest of the world have a little bit of a distant feel when it comes to children's films. They like things darker. If you look at Watership Down, When the Wind Blows, and if you look at the children's stuff that comes out of America, they're they're not they're more they like the darker stuff. I mean Grimm's Fairy Tale. I mean, you can't get any more German than that. <laughs> so, so maybe that's it. So Well, on that note, let's rate Return to Oz. Starting with you, Sean, how many stars do you give Return to Oz? How do we usually... I, this is my first time on this version of the show. Uh, how we, many stars do we usually give it out of? Oh, out, out of five? five? I gave it four when I saw it because I it does have a, some flaws and, and definitely I have some confusion with the ending. But in terms of a visual movie, in terms of the tone of the movie, in terms of just... You don't get movies like this nowadays, kids' movies specifically, that scare children. Well, it's made for horror for kids. Yeah, it's it's horror for kids. So for that alone, I give it I give it four stars. I think it's a fantastic film, and it's definitely one I highly recommend checking out. And I hope, and and it probably won't because Disney because there it seems to be everyone seems to be pulling back on it. I hope I hope it gets a 4K treatment. I would love to see this movie cleaned yeah. up because all I've seen is a crummy DVD rip or, or a bad HD conversion. I'd love to see it get the tender care in, in an upscale, and I'd like to and I'd like to see just how they interpreted Oz and how it looks in in more vibrant way. But I absolutely loved it. What about yourself, Jim? I I'd also yeah I'm I'm torn between four and four and a half, but let's just say four for the sake of it. It's a really, really solid dark fairy tale. Really, really well done from a time when, like Keith said earlier, Disney was doing a ton of these and they were they were putting out quality. If you've never seen Watcher in the Woods, if you've never seen Something Wicked This Way Comes, they are really, really good. If they, and they're good, they're good movies because they're, they're they're not like overly bloody that you could use to introduce a kid to horror. Yeah, because even modern. You know, horror movies for kids still exist, but they're not nearly on the level of dark that this is. Or the new watch stuff yeah. that like Disney does around Halloween now is nowhere near as dark. Um, horror for kids is more PG thirteen stuff, and it's more for tweens. Nothing for younger kids. Nothing designed really specifically to scare younger kids. The, the <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. But even those PG thirteen horror movies, you wouldn't say that they were for kids. This is you know, really marketed. They're for kids. tweens. They're for, they're marketed for tweens. These are marketed. This is marketed for children, and it's scaring the shit out of in the, in the process. Yeah. So, and, and 80, it's a solid movie. I think we also had over concerned parents coming out around eighty five. I mean, this is during drunk drivers and yeah, mad parents, parents against drugs and all okay, that. but that's a real issue. Dare and mad and all that. Trump driving is a real issue. No, 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 but no, but what I'm saying, no, I don't, I don't. What I'm, what I'm saying is that we had a lot, we had a lot of parents speaking out 
all the time. I mean, and look at the MPAA when it came to horror films and everything and all this whole thing. Because we were, we're during. The, I mean, yes, they are real issues, and I do agree with them. I'm not saying that that should never have happened. But what we had basically is we you need we need yeah. to protect our children because we are going into conservative times. It's God, it's, and this is against God. We're living in godless times. At this, this time. is a moral era. We're always living in godless times. <laughs> always. But, I would say the eighties are near as godless as now, and yeah. I'm not even. Godly. But but I'm saying, at, but at this time period, I mean, this was at the. I mean. You know, I mean, this, talk this, to any yeah. director of a horror film at this time and what was being cut out for the MPAA. Still let your kids yeah. watch them. I just, I mean, charity that, begins that's the other thing. That's the other thing. Like Vicky just said, a lot of the horror movies, like people are, oh, Silent Night, Deadly. Silent Night, Deadly Night wasn't made for your four-year-old. No. Yeah. So you, you shouldn't be showing your four-year-old Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's, it's the, I think, honestly, it was less the fact that the movie existed and more the fact that it was being the average. Oh, that's always irritating. Because well, it's, you see when, it's Stan holding the bloody axe or, or the visual, the, the, car, the commercial. Again, that's not the made for a five-year-old. You know? Well, yes, yes, it's not the but movie we itself know that. Is, but we still yeah. market it to our children. But he had to remember at the same time this was all going on because yeah. these were mothers speaking out against it. Yeah. They're probably not going to be too keen on the dark Disney. Yeah. yeah no, absolutely. You know, they're not going to be. I don't know, really remember anybody people, going after dark Disney back in the day, though. These are people they kind of did because the best thing to do is get the Blu-ray or the DVD of Watching the Woods and find out what that director had to go through to get that movie out. And to the, yeah, that, yeah, but, oh, the reason why the idea. ending doesn't take doesn't make sense because they had to change the ending because it was too darker yeah. because the parents were yelling at them about the about the subject matter. They got to sell toys. They got to sell action figures. They got to sell costumes. They got to sell their IP. And I get it. I, I fully, I, I, the older I get, the more I understand also, the corporate mentality. I hate it, but I understand. There's also, it. there's also the stigma that people had because in the 70s, horror movies started changing and becoming more violent. But if you really think about the mindset of horror movies up until that point, they were, you know, Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi. They were Frankenstein yeah. and the Wolfman yeah. and then the Vincent Price movies. It wasn't until like The Exorcist and the Texas Chainsaw right. Massacre right. and Black Christmas. No, these movies can be genuinely horrifying. And, that's that's uh, yeah. what I'm saying. They were well, considered to be kid movies. Like, you'd hear stories like in the 60s of, oh, no, my parents would just dropped me off at the movie theater and just leave me there to watch the horror double feature because the horror movies are considered kid stuff. So my I, dad is still scarred to this day by House of Wax. But I, I think I think what the record. I, an interesting thing about really? an interesting oh, yeah. thing about film that's quite interesting. If you look at 70s film, they have this gritty darkness thingy. By the yeah. time the 80s come along, everything looks very clean. Even the horror films look very clean. I mean, they might oh, yeah. be but they look very clean. So it kind of it kind of shows you, you know, in a weird way, it kind of like then the 70s were kind of a, the dirty age, and then the yeah. 80s. The clean age. Well, look at, yeah, but you could tell just by the video that it's more grainy and dirty. Anyway, like I spit on your grave or last house on the, the left, is it? Or that last yeah, house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, and then, just look uh, at that. that that's uh, just... You want to shower Just take simple things like The Godfather, The French Connection, any of those films. And then, then look at the 80s. Like, 
the color of money. It's like very clean. Yeah. He has this very clean, polished look. At, look at, and I'm not saying that it doesn't take away from the, the films of the 80s at all. It's you just, watch a horror movie in the 70s, you're like, just laying down on that dirty mattress looks like it'll take <laughs> And and I think that you know, and I think that is pretty much tell, gives you. It's kind of a weird preface. I mean, it's it's just a different filming quality, but it kind of is a weird mirror to the time, right? Also, seventies seventies movies were shot very hot. Like, like I Keith, Keith, you'll probably understand what I mean by this more than anything. Like, it's a lot of overexposed film. Yeah. Like, it's very very bright in some cases. It's really weird. But movies, well, the set, the seventies is the jewel of the, the studio system breaking. So yeah. what you got was basically filmmakers making their vision and making it, you know, and making it the sign of the times and reflecting the seventies. Cause the seventies wasn't a great time. I mean, I mean, I mean, look at Saturday Night Fever. You want to get gritty, look at Saturday Night Fever. It's not this happy dance movie that everyone has in their mind. But right. it's it a very gritty time. I mean, everyone was really poor. We had the energy crisis. We had a lot of crap going on. The end of Vietnam War, so on and so forth. The 80s was a new look, the new beginning. Reaganomics are going to save everything. And the yuppie was going the yuppie was going to raise from the ashes, and which happened, and, and which was like a brand new day, clean look, the morning after and bad nightmare. And that's what the 80s pretty much was. Well, that, that and was the 90s was the hangover. Morning again. <laughs> and the 90s was the hangover to the 80s. And the 2000s and paying for all, all our past sins. <laughs> So, this day. so Vix, how many stars do you rate this? I'm going to go with the boys just said four. I mean, especially what Sean said, I kind of agreed everything he said. I mean, and then now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, I, I don't get the ending now, kind of sort of. There's some stuff there I didn't really catch until he, I didn't know. Now I don't know why she's arrested. And obviously no one on the internet knows why she was arrested either. So something, I don't know. That's weird. But it was really, it's really dark. I loved it though. I, I think it was really good, and I don't know problem any kid watched it, but it gets gritty. It kind of, it's kind of, it, it's I don't know. It's not. It's uncomfortable. I guess some of it. Yeah, it's it's designed to make you feel very very uneased or very uneasy. Yeah, it's effective. I'm going to give it a solid four. I think that I think I I do believe the studio. Would have stopped it from becoming a perfect five, and I understand because maybe the times or you know reflections or whatever like that. I also think that anyone who's going to do a sequel to The Wizard of Oz, and I think they're going to have difficulty and to go back to the books and actually do a good adaptation of the books themselves, because everyone's going to reflect on this film from the 39 that let's face it is something that most of us have seen almost every single year for most of our informative years anyway so yeah. especially those it, of us used to wait for it to come on during one of the holidays yeah. you know and, and it's a well-beloved film and i think that unfortunately when you have return to oz which is the sequel to the wizard of oz i imagine a lot of people thought that this they were going to get something else as well Obviously. Yeah, I mean, you probably were definitely not, if you if your only encounter with The Wizard of Oz is the 1939 movie, 
you were not expecting this night. Well, let's be honest. I'd say 95% of the people who have seen it, who saw this movie, it was probably their only real inkling on this movie was the original Wizard of Oz movie. And I I think that if they kind of not tried to, the only time this movie fails is when they tried to mirror components from the 39. Yeah. Which, you know, it's not, this is not a lavish MGM musical. So you're never gonna you're never gonna get that. You're never gonna capture that energy again. That was that, a that, lifetime thing. When you and think of those movies, when you think of those those MGM musicals, they are a product of their time. You yeah. can't really remake those now. On that note, that brings us to Oz the Great and Powerful, which is a 2013 American fantasy adventure film directed by Sam Raimi and written by David Lindsay Abair and Mitchell Kabner from a story by Kabner. Based on L. Frank Baum's earliest 20th century Oz books and set 20 years before the events of the original 1900 novel, the film was a spiritual prequel to the 1939 MGM film The Wizard of Oz, starring James Franco in the title role, Myla Kunis, Rachel Weisz, Michelle Williams, Zach Braff, Bill Cobbs, and Joey King. King, William Book, and Tony Cox. The story tells the film tells the story of Oscar Diggs, a deceptive magician who arrives in the land of Oz and encounters three witches: Theodora, Evanora, and Glinda. Oscar is then enlisted to restore order in Oz while struggling to resolve the conflicts with the witches and himself. Kepner began developing an origin story for the Wizard of Oz after a lifelong interest and wanted to create one for the character. Walt Disney Pictures commissioned the film's production in 2009 with Joe Roth as producer and Grant Curtis and Joshua Donan, Philip Stewart, and Palak Patel serving as executive producers. Rami was hired to direct the following year after Robert Downey Jr. and Johnny Depp declined the title role in January and February of 2011. Franco was cast. Filming took place from July to December 2011. Danny Elfman composed of the musical score for the film. Oz the Great and Powerful premiered at the Al Captain Theater on February 13, 2013, and was released theatrically in the United States on March 8, 2013, in Disney Digital 3D, Real 3D, Real D 3D, and IMAX 3D formats. Despite receiving mixed reviews from critics, the film was commercially successful, grossing over $493 million worldwide. The film won the Phoenix Film Critics Society Award for Best Live Action Family Film, and Kunis won the MTV Movie Award for Best Villain for performance as the Wicked Witch of the West. We're going to do is cut to the trailer of Oz the Great and Powerful and be right back. Kansas is full of good men. I don't want to be a good man. I want to be a great one. You're gonna need this! I don't want to die! I haven't accomplished anything yet! Please! Oz. I'm 
You do her the good, witch. Where's your broom? You don't know much about witches, do you? It's the Emerald City. You are here at last, and the prophecy shall be fulfilled. This is my sister, Evanora. I'm here to serve you. The royal treasure of Oz. It belongs to you, but only after you defeat the Wicked Witch. Just how wicked is she? Towns were destroyed. <laughs> Children were orphaned. Great wizard from Kansas. I've waited for you to come and set things right. Me? Did those crows just say we're gonna die? Your magic is the only thing strong enough to save us all. Please tell me you gentlemen can fight. No. What we saying? Guys, uh, take five. I might not actually be a wizard. Yes, but they don't know that. You are capable of more than you know. Help, please! Are you the great man we've been waiting for? Welcome back to the Literature Lessons Podcast. We're discussing Oz the Great and Powerful. So, Joe, what are your thoughts of this film? Well, I really enjoyed Sam Raimi's Evil Dead Oz edition. <laughs> <laughs> the man it does is. one movie. It really does. He just keeps making it. Yeah, just I think you're making, right. He keeps making a different version of the Evil Dead for whatever he's doing. Uh, this is the Wizard of Oz edition because, you you know, the... the all the stuff in the forest. I was waiting for those trees to start saying they'd swallow his, her soul. Swallow yeah. your soul! Swallow your soul! I forgot about the trees. Yeah, you're yeah. right. The visual of... Uh, Bruce Campbell shows up and gets some head trauma. Yeah. Yeah, That's... <laughs> when, yeah I was going to say, Bruce, Bruce Campbell gets knocked around in the head. When when the uh, Rachel Vice at the end gets turned into the old crone... The, the, you're just like, oh wow, she looks like the deadite in the basement. Yeah. Uh, it's she, or the, uh, yeah, or the old witch and drag me to hell. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> I like much like Joe. I like the Evil Dead. I like Evil Dead in a high rise. I like Evil Dead in the Marvel universe. Evil Dead in the uh, in the Wizard of Oz does not really work. It does not really <laughs> do well. I think Joe and I both nodded off like three times watching this. We we, we both we both watched it at the same time. Yeah. We rented it on Amazon or something, and we both oh. watched it at the same time. At one point, Sean goes, "Joe, wake up!" And like uh, like fifteen minutes later, Sean, wake up! Yeah, but we it, were able to fill each other in on what was happening during the point where we were nodding off. And this isn't like we're watching this at one a.m. This was like no, this two like in the afternoon. Two in the afternoon. I didn't yeah. think it was that bad. You know what? It's because uh, we've seen this movie, and I think that that it was boring, and that was the that's the big. I will say this: the opening scene in the movie, when it's four by three, black and white, I like. I like that a lot. I thought that that was cool. I, I like the visuals. I like what they were going. Mister Bomb was the leader of the circus. I thought that was a little tongue in cheek, a cute tongue in cheek yeah. reference. And Bernie then when Gale's it goes, parents. yeah, all the door the I know John Gale, you know all that stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then when it goes from four by three black and white to widescreen color, I like that. But the movie itself is kind of boring. It's 
really. It took a little years. long. It took how long was it? It took a little long to get well, it going. Two fifteen or something like that. Yeah. This is my problem with prequels. And Ridley Scott, this is going to you, especially because you should know better since you did the first thing <laughs> and you did Prometheus. But the thing is, if you're going to do a prequel, you're going to have to match everything up at the end uh-huh. to lead to the next thing. So my question is, is and I was telling the Vicky this, and, you know, I, I mean this, I mean this in jazz, so, you know, this is meant as a joke, but we have an ethnic diverse Oz if this is leading to 39, did they have some kind of race riot and got rid of all people? Because <laughs> I'm thinking like, you know, and the thing is like, I'm thinking to myself like, oh, and then at the end, we have him with his flying monkey who he basically, you know, That's fl- right. so I get, no, it's not a flying monkey, it's a flying chimpanzee, I guess, or... Yeah, what happened to it? Was, it was some kind, it was some form of primate with wings. Let's just leave it. Yeah. That so we got the yeah, primate with wings. We got China girl. But yeah. by the time Dorothy gets there 20 years later, did they die? Or I assume they or died. Did, he, I assume did he take everything. a China girl and accidentally dropped her? <laughs> or, I mean, well, like, the Oz, I mean, well, Oz, was he a young man? I mean, obviously he was young. He's when he a got young there man here. And by the time Dorothy gets there, he's a gray haired old. He's the old so, gray haired yeah, guy. Yeah, he's an old gray haired guy. But I so, mean, did they ever clue us in on that, though? I mean, because he uh, talked about his work that made sort of in The Wizard of Oz. The, the fact the fact that a thirty year old looks like looks like a thirty year old and then a well he probably should have looked older yeah possible but uh, the, the fact that some gray the fact that he looks so old hair. by the time Dorothy gets there makes sense because he yeah that that's that's just the way you age back in the nineteen thirties well there's yeah. but see there's the, the biggest problem of this film I mean the film I mean first of all the film looks beautiful and I like the I liked his camera angles and because it's very oh, yeah, God. So that was fantastic. My problem is that if Glinda is sleeping with the great and powerful husband at the end, so when Dorothy arrives, Glinda <laughs> is her there, and what the hell is that? About? Like, Glinda, you are a bitch. <laughs> because you just set him up to sit there and go to your boyfriend, who you're stooping, you know, and make her go through all this stuff. And then knowing full well that your boyfriend's going to make her cause her death or which doesn't happen, but can cause her death because he is too much of a chicken shit to go face and to face the Wicked Witch on his own. Yeah. Because he didn't do a good enough job the first time around. First time. And, and you're, and you're, yeah, you're sending your daughter, uh, your daughter, you're sending, uh, you're sending Dorothy, you're sending this young girl to a known con artist who's, who's going to show her the way home. Yeah. A con artist that gives everyone the same jewelry box. Con artist that it'd be like has the same moves for every. I mean, it's Precisely. he doesn't even try to hide his tracks. And so the the only surprise is, is when you watch the original Wizard of Oz is that the wizard doesn't try to get into Dorothy's pants. So that's the <laughs> big surprise of the original. <laughs> That would have been fair, a nice twist, though. That would be fair, at that point, like an yeah, R rating. At that though? point, he's stupid a witch. He knows better than to cheat on a witch. That ain't gonna work out in his favor. But, but then he waits. Well, it's a nice origin waits, story. Thinking about but, where she came from. Well, the thing he waits twenty years for this girl to show up and makes her finish off what he started. <laughs> True. To be so, fair, he was happy being the guy behind the curtain. And all. I will say that when the, the big reveal of the wizard hat at the end was creatively done. 
I thought that was that makes with sense. The, the dropping of the of the the hot air balloon to create right, scope right. so that they could use it as a screen for the projector. That was smart. I, I did like that. I thought that was clever. And when, and I, when I, my brain was putting together what was going on, I'm like, you know what? This is, this is clever. But the, thing, but the thing is what you got to do, if you're going to do a prequel, yeah. here to prequel, you got to match it up. So therefore, when the, and there's not a prequel to the 1900 book, it's a prequel to the 1939, the, the 1935. Yeah. So you got to match it up. And he really got to this with Prometheus. It's like, you're watching it. And then you see, you know, basically the, the crash spaceship and stuff like this. But then it's like at the end of it, because you need this great big spectacular, the crash spaceship ends up somewhere totally different than when Ridley shows up 200 years later and finds it. And you're like, come on, you got to match this up. You know, um, if you do a prequel, do a prequel, but you got to match it up. So it links into. I, Keith, remind me to send you at some point the original two and a half page treatment for the for Prometheus because it's basically alien. It's all three. It, apparently, the trilogy was written as one movie, and it involved black holes and time travel and David and Michael Fassbender being Jesus. I mean, it's it's the most absurd fucking thing you've you'll ever read. But it hit ninety percent of the beats of what happened, and I and I had it six months before Prometheus. I'll send it to you. Yeah, you'll see where this movie was going. The only thing that makes Fassbender Jesus was his penis and, clo- and closer. I was going <laughs> to say that the, the man, the, <laughs> man is gifted. Ridley, man, man is gifted. Man. If I ever meet Ridley Scott, I want my twelve fifty back for that ticket. But fuck that guy. I'll i and this is what this movie this is what this movie suffers from a little bit. Because the thing is, it's quite sad because you look at the beginning of it, as you say, is very promising. It's beautifully yeah. filmed, though. It's, it's such a beautiful Pretty. film to look at. I mean, yeah. the set and everything is just Pretty. beautiful. And, and the characters are, I mean, Myla Kunis is very good. Oh, God, uh, yeah. Rachel Weisz. I like Bale a lot. She's she's a tremendous actress. And yeah. Rachel Weisz is really good at it. I can't wait till she does as she gets progressively older because I she's gonna she's gonna crank out some good stuff that girl is. Yeah. But I do. I, have, I, I, I met her when I worked when I, I worked on her a little bit about James Franco because the thing about James Franco, I think he's a good actor. But there's always I. something smarmy about whatever role he plays, right? He's got a smarmy look on his face. He was just born that way. Imitating life. Even even when he even when he's getting quick into Harvey Milk, he's smarmy. I don't you know he's yeah. like a loving boyfriend. <laughs> so they're always a, I mean you know and this is I do like James Franco. I don't have anything against James Franco, but there always seems to be a smarminess to his thingy. So I'm kind of wondering is like, but then again I I watched this a second time because I thought maybe it was his smarminess that was affecting me because maybe his lines. We're not smarmy, but his lines are smarmy as well. They're smarmy. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's a grifter. That's what well, he is in this. He's well, who grifter. did you say that they wanted to play before him? Johnny Depp was us, and who was the other name? Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey. Both, both of which can play incredible con artist sleazeballs. Yeah, very sly, good. very slick, and all that stuff. With him, it's natural. Yeah, he just everything looks that, that way. You know, he's, he's, he's Bill Hader. Bill Hader during the roast of James Franco said he was able to. To overcome the affliction of stupid face or something like that, dumb face or something. Something a little. What movie did he name? What movie was that when they made fun of North Korea? I love that movie. Oh, the the interview. Oh my God! I just pissed myself. But yeah, oh my God! Anyone listening out there, look. 
Look up Bill Hader's bit as the president of Hollywood from the James Franco oh, roast. One of it's the funniest the damn things. stuff you'll ever see. Oh, God. Interestingly enough, this film would actually make a decent sequel to Wicked. Yeah, it would. Well, that was yes, the thing. it would. It came out around the time that Wicked was all the that's rage. That's another one that's coming out this year. Wicked. Wicked the this movie replaced Wicked because we were supposed when we first made the schedule for this, it was supposed to be Return to Oz and Wicked, but Wicked, Wicked right. kept getting delayed and delayed yeah, and delayed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this that actually was supposed the, to be the thing about but the thing about Oz and Wicked, if you read the book, especially the book, it's it is kind of touched upon in the musical, but the book the Gregory the Gregory Maguire book of Wicked is something that everyone should read. It's a fantastically written, well done book. And it's very adult. But the thing about Oz in Wicked is that he is an evil con artist. And he is basically, you know, he's he's killing like the talking animals and all this other yeah. stuff. All this thing is going into exile because of him. And Alphaba becomes the Wicked Witch because she's fighting against this. And Glinda is so busy, worried about how she looks to people that she doesn't want to join the crusade. So and so when he had that Oz the odds that we get in this, that makes a perfect companion. Makes a lot more sense. I think that that's the reason why when this movie came out initially, they were banking on the people who had seen Wicked and not so much on the people who had seen the original film. I think it was more like Wicked is popular. It wasn't the same studio, was it? Well, this is Disney. Disney, okay, okay. What do you got to remember? But but see, this this is what's problematic about this because Wicked at that time was opening on Broadway. Yes. Now, how many people in the world are going to get to see Wicked before this movie premiered? To be fair, I will say this. I was trapped. This was maybe 2009, 2010, coming back with some friends in from Milwaukee to uh, Chicago and a college uh, helping them clean out their dorm room. And I was forced to listen to the Wicked soundtrack on loop the entire ride. It's like two and a half hours. It's a good soundtrack. The first time, second time, I'm like, okay, you're pushing it. Just because I had to, there was no no break. But my point is, (laughs) if the the musical had started playing in Chicago, because and all that, and so people had seen it, people were loving it, people were singing the songs, people with that, they knew the story. It was one of those things where it was it was kind of like Hamilton. You may not have seen Hamilton, but you knew Hamilton. You know, Everyone knew right. Rent the same yeah. thing. Yeah, rent same thing. I mean, like it doesn't really matter. There's certain musicals that have trend. You don't have to see. They've transcended in, in into mainstream, exactly. into the mainstream to the point that you're like, oh, I know everything that happens. And hell, I didn't see Twin Peaks all the way through till 2020 because I knew everything that happened in Twin Peaks because through pop, just modern pop culture. So in this case, it was just I, I think everybody knew Wicked and they were banking on. And, and I really do think that that leaned into how they structured this movie was the hope of, okay, we got the original film and also the popularity of this musical that's selling like hotcakes in terms of albums and whatnot. And it's just people know the songs, people know the story, people know these characters. I can't wait for it, the ma- it made sense. I do. Want, I, I want to see the movie too. I mean, that's the thing. It looks thought, like it's going to be good. Yeah. Well, be good. I it's hope good. I'm not disappointed. <laughs> Goodish. I think the only problem with the, yeah, the only good-ish. problem with the Wicked movie is that it's divided into two. Oh, it's a two-parter. So uh, yeah, 
So that's basically going to be like you're going to see Act One. Yeah, I'm with you, Sean. And then I'm going to have to wait a year to see Act Two, which I think is going to, which might. I think you pissed me off with Dune because Dune, I'm sorry, as beautiful as it was, it was a big fucking yawn. I wanted all four or five hours. Like Joe, that reminds me, we got to watch Dune in the next week or two so that we can see it in the theater because you have you still haven't seen it. Oh, is it coming out? Oh, the third. The David Lynch Dune is back in theaters this week. Yeah. yeah. I, I might I might we'll go see. say that, yeah. But no, in terms of the yeah, the, the, the hate it when they do that two part shit though. I, I still have not seen the, the Mission Impossible just did it. I, I have not seen the newest Spider Verse movie. I hear it's everyone tells me it's amazing, but I knew going into it, I'm like, well, it's the first half of a movie. I'm not gonna see that. I'll wait till it comes out and then I'll see it. I'm probably not gonna do that to my That's what I did with you. It's a bit it's a bit like it. What you got was a strong first yeah. movie and a week's second movie because the weakness of yeah. it with the adults. Yeah. And that second movie is especially weak because it's it's weaker even than the second half yeah. of the nineteen ninety TV movie. Yeah, I, Joe watched, I watched that in the theater so Joe and he turned to me and he saw me physically getting angry in my seat watching that fucking movie. I hate it, chapter two. Despise well, it, chapter two. I think it's the well, biggest and the thing fucking is, waste of time I've ever seen in my, in my life. The, but in the eighties, they kind of did the same thing when you saw Back to the Future two, and they go, and then it's like it ends like the way it ends, and it's like, oh, coming Back to the Future three, and you, and you yes, but they they gave you a trailer at yeah, the end of the movie, you. telling you, hey, we filmed it back to back. It's Dude. coming soon. We're here's what you're gonna get in the next one. So yeah, I was disappointed that I was left in nineteen fifty five, but I knew, hey, we got something coming, and it's gonna be fucking awesome. We're getting a western. Hell yeah, I'm down for this. I I I'm. As long as you show me you got something coming up, that that was the Avengers when they did Captain yeah. America. The last cap, the first Captain America movie ended with a two minute trailer for the Avengers. That was their post credit scene, letting you know, hey, this has all been building to something. But also with back with Back to the Future Two and Back to the Future Three, you had the end of Back to the Future Two. Yes, yeah. you had the, the end story of that completed. same story. He stopped Biff from conquering the future. He's, he's, he's destroyed the almanac. That his future is secure. Now, how the fuck does he get home? That's the new story that we're setting up for the next one. And and yeah, you're right. I mean, you told a full story. And the problem he, nowadays he, is he, you're he, telling five I stories. But I do remember seeing it and going, oh, like this. And not saying I love Back to the Future too. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Okay, I don't. There is but a disappointment. I have to sit there's there and say I had a more appreciation. When I had all three of them and I watched them back to back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I felt the same way during Hunger Games. Same thing during Harry Potter. Same thing. Whenever they split these things up, I think it's like, why? What is I feel like they're raping us for our money. It feels like we're being. That's exactly what they're doing. And I think that's what it is. Because when it it comes to Lord of the Rings, you understand why that's a trilogy. Because, you know, those books are, you know the size of our, you know, the size of my apartment. So Lord of the Rings, you understand a trilogy. The Hobbit, though, that's the the problem. There we go. I mean, the the Hobbit is a 200-page book. Yeah, the Hobbit did not need to. Twilight franchise, the final Twilight film, which is apparently a 200-page story that they split into two movies and added in a uh, battle that didn't actually happen in the book. So, I mean, well, we have to get two two hour movies out of it somehow. And we have to get a big action sequence out of this franchise anyway, even though it didn't well, happen. It was the worst thing about The Hobbit is I could have seen, I saw the whole movie for 90 minutes and the Raskin Bass cartoon. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. You, <laughs> I, didn't, I, could, I saw all that in 90 minutes. I didn't have to, I didn't go, 
I didn't go and bother with the Hobbit. It's like screw it. I'm not. I, did, I I never bothered with the Hobbit, but also I understood that the there was also egotistical reasons. The reason why it was made is so that no one else could make it. I I, I would have loved to see Guillermo del Toro's Hobbit, but yeah. the fact that I Peter think I, Jackson, I think I, would, I think I would actually preferred it because I think Peter Jackson he did it just because he didn't want anyone else to do it, and he felt like he was uh, owed there, the right. There is a jaded feel when I finally yeah. there's this kind of jadedness that goes with that. But then again, I think Lord of the Rings could have been done in two because by the time he got to the third, I remember coming in and seeing the third one, and I was sitting there because there was such a length between, two, you know, two and three. I sat there going, "What the fuck's going on?" Fighting, <laughs> like, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, and you know, and I kind of thought to myself, and then the CG was horrible, and it kind of took you out of it, going well, down the waterfalls you know, the and thing stuff. Is that when you get an hour and a half of epilogue that <laughs> didn't help either <laughs> so that's like half hour of movie and an hour and a half of epilogues like great yeah. the movie that and it felt like end. the movie that was never going to end the third yeah. one like is it gonna end no i was gonna say cue up the lamp <laughs> cue up sherry lewis and the lamb chops theme song this movie yeah. that does not end oh uh, no no you did oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i invoke the great sherry lewis <laughs> Oh my god! I can hear it. I can hear it. That's right. You're welcome. The the, the strange thing about about Lord of the Rings, the first movie, is I went to see it because I was a big Christopher Lee fan even back then. What was that come out like 2001? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, about that. And I was like, I need to see Christopher Lee on the big screen before he dies. Yeah. And this is Um, the last time before he dies. And he fucking lived another 15 years after this. And I know, isn't that amazing? With a ton of Tim Burton movies and a ton of, <laughs> ton of people. He lived long enough movies. to see Hammer come back and do another Hammer film. Uh, yeah, yeah that's right. He was in another <laughs> Hammer film with Hilary Swank and uh, Harry Dean uh, Morgan. No, uh, that's right. Yeah, uh, the problem with Gandalf. Oh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Gandalf comes in. Robes Bilbo Baggins to go on this adventure, disappears, and comes in at the end going, I see you made it okay. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> you can't help, you're a dick. A boy. Oh, you're, no. What a dick. What a dick. You're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> if you did your job properly, Bilbo wouldn't even need to do this. <laughs> so, um, but going back to the Oz, the great and powerful. I think the film works its best when we get when we do get Sam Raby to let loose on his camera work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, the Evil Dead that makes it work. Really, the Evil Dead visuals, the Evil Dead makeup design, the camera cuts, everything. The Evil Dead aesthetic works. It's the when it's mixed with the Wizard of Oz. Which is why to I be, say like he knows how to make to be fair, movies because no matter what hate, he made. What, uh, Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, all the Doctor evil Strange dead stuff is, in Evil Dead, Evil, evil Dead stuff in the Marvel Universe. Uh, Quick in the Dead has all has all the Raimi camera movements. Quadlings, what do y'all think of the quadlings? I loved. I, I I think I even said, "Wow, they managed to sneak Doc Ock in this movie. That's cool." <laughs> We had quadlings. What else did we have? We had quadlings. The China girl. But in the book, you know, the China people can't leave their their country, or they turn stiff. So how China girl got out of China country? Well, I like Joey. It's like 
if Dor, I mean, I in, like the, Joey King. in the book, Dorothy goes to China, the China world, and she goes right. because because after she does that, the wizard can't help her in the book. So basically, she has to go to the the good witch of the south. Right. She has to go on another journey in the book. So she goes to China world, and in this, it's been destroyed, and there's no living. Yeah. Left, so they're like, and okay, her legs back on. One person left, and you know I, I, and let me, a theory about this, but about China, walk yourself and have children and start a no, new. I, I, okay, really I'm quick now, did you get the okay. impression that Oz is immortal in the books, but he's not immortal in the movie? Uh, you know, no, no, he, no, he, no, he's mortal because the thing is, the whole thing about him going flying there, but in the books, they kind of make it look like he's a little more than what he is, and he, he is. But in the books, in the books, he is a well in the movie as well. But in the books, he is not this main character. He's kind of like a no, he's not. He's not a character, and it's all about it's the journey that's the main thing. And, and the wizard's all about how he's marketed himself as this, but he's not this. He's that situation. I like the tornado. I liked when they did the tornado scene. That was kind of cool. The tornado. Yeah. Was cool. Well, that was a nice odd, a nice nod again to thirty nine. Yeah. So, and that, and I think that's the problem. I think if you're doing a nod to the books, and you can do a prequel to the books, I think you're gonna have to do this in a different way. But this is kind of like a hodgepodge of stuff. So you're doing a because you're doing a nod to the nineteen thirty nine with the opening with the tornado, and right. then and even the you know and then you kind of. Then it, then you're not match. You're not ma- You gotta match your strings up. You gotta put your puzzle together. You gotta put your missing pieces in. And it's gotta. And your final look has gotta be. Well, you knew it wasn't going to be an exact exact origin stories to be a. You know. Well, but the thing is, you gotta match it up because the thing is, if you're gonna give a nod to all this and all that, and the thing is, this is not Sam Raimi's fault. This is the fault of the script. Right. And and then at the end of the, and then another thing is what we get basically is you know let's take let's make this a message movie. The yeah. mess the message in this movie basically is if you're a total asshole and you use everybody and lie to everybody all the way through, you don't have to change who you are because you'll get what you want in the end of the day. <laughs> That's the message. Yeah, that was the part when they were yeah. going through that uh, that bubble. Where it was like if you're pure of heart, you'll get through. And he's like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but then he gets through anyway. He's so, hey, no, he has lied and con his way through this entire movie, but he's able to get through anyway. Well, she knew he was a con, though. He wasn't the yeah. kind of wizard they were expecting, but he's the wizard that they needed. Remember? Yeah, she saw right through all of his bullshit. Yeah, she knew he was she full of shit. Tell. She can tell from the looks of everything, and when she meets him in the graveyard, she can tell all through it. So, the constant. What we're learning is the screenwriter saw the Dark Knight. Yes. <laughs> I'm not the hero Gotham wants, but I'm the hero they need. You know that's well. You know he lived long enough to see himself become the villain, so he flew the coop and there's a balloon. By the time Dorothy gets there, I mean, I think what would have been quite nice, basically, I think what they could have done was maybe have some people in Emerald City who kind of help him along his way. Maybe a couple of Munchkins could have helped him along his way to help him get to the end. Because for buddies, then what? Because then what you would have basically is that at the end of the movie they go home and they're support and they're carrying the wizard's fantasy world and painting this. They're marketing him as the wizard, 
And and through all odds, the story would spread and you could do that. And that would have worked out quite well because when you have these characters, you're apparently his best friends to the end of their days. And 20 years later, they're nowhere to be found because they've been killed or what God knows what. You know, you and and he, and he needed and he needed to turn his. But see, this is again you. He he needed to turn a curve. He, he, he what you get is a one note, not a one note performance, but a one note character. He doesn't change whatsoever. He he's he's not forgiving of what he did. I mean, I mean, he turns Alphaba. I mean, not Alphaba, but the Wicked Witch of the West, whatever her name is. I can't remember her name, but he. He plays around with her. He screws her over, which makes her become this. Then he, you know, so he, so he basically, he created the Wicked Witch. Yeah. Made her yeah. green with envy is how I interpreted it. When and I, uh, because he created the Wicked Witch, he is such, a, such an asshole that later on, he's going to send a 13 to 16 year old girl, depending if you're reading the book or right. the film. I got more of the impression she was, she was 12, now. but. Well, yeah, but I think, you know, well, Dorothy's 60, 16 in the book and 12 in the, well, the, yeah, probably 12 in the book, 12 in the book, 16 in the film. Yeah. I think, I think you're still was, sending a child to mix what you fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And she was a pretty pissed off witch when she left, wasn't she? So you could see how that set up all that the fun for that. But who yeah. in their great but minds the would is, think that Margaret was, Hamilton she, was in love with the Wizard of Oz? As an origin story, though. He was but she was a good she was a good person when the movie started. In the beginning, she was a good person, and her sister turned her evil. I get that. But... By the way, is her sister Maleficent turned her evil? The wizard fucked with her heart and turned her throw evil. that out there. Uh, for some reason, I they, they had Maleficent as the, the wicked witch of the West sister with her poison apple and everything, the way she's dressed and the aesthetic of everything. It, it really threw me off. It really threw me off when I was watching it. Oh, sure. It could have been a little nod. Yeah, it could have been, but even still. I also have to think the simple fact is that, and this is a problem. So, so Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz goes to Emerald City to see the wizard sort of thing. That was the and, first thing I thought of. And, and, and everyone that's waiting on her is between 40 and 50 years old. Well, they look up. I mean, it is a 30, so they could be only 20, but they look they look older. And then, you know, and then she goes off to, you know, they're like, okay, you're going to go out to fight the witch. Yay. And they're all cheering her off from Emerald City. She goes, Emerald City people are dickheads because it's like, they were just ruled by these two witches earlier. (laughs) 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 So they don't even tell, no one tells her. And the munchkins don't tell her, like, we're going to send you to the Wizard of Oz, which the witches used to rule. So it's like it's very problematic. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking. It's very yeah. And and what we I know I think what we have is a very lazy script built on a one note idea, and that's what we get. And you have the visual su- style of Sam Raimi trying to hold it together as glue, and it can only I, do I, so much lifting. It really can. Did, I think he did a great job for what he, he did. Would. But if you think that this movie could have probably saved a small country in Africa from starving the money that they spent on it. You gotta think about it. Yeah. <laughs> the issue I have with most movies now. Movies yeah. don't need to be $400 million, guys. No. This this movie could have saved a real pygmy tribe, which is probably the, the, the realization of what Munchkin could be. 
this movie could have fucking housed all the homeless in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah. <laughs> this could have so that, that way this this could have prevented that wall being built in LA to put all these homeless people in. <laughs> Anyway, I guess before we go any further, I go down even a further black hole. Before you offend the rest of our audience. <laughs> yeah. So what we should do probably is rate the odds of the great and powerful, starting with you, Joe. How many stars are you going to give this? Probably three, because while there are parts of it where like I legitimately dozed off, because it takes a long time. Like you said, it's a very one-note movie, and it takes a long time getting to the fucking point. Mm. That being said, Sam Raimi's visual style is great. It always has been. He, the, the guy, this little horror movie that he made in 1981 changed the way a lot of movies were made, and a lot of the way a lot of movies were shot. Mm. I enjoy the cast. I like a lot of cast members. I enjoy watching a lot of the members. I really love Bruce Campbell, and I'll you know basically watch almost anything with him in it. It's a nice movie to look at. It's pretty so on, on that stuff. I you know that stuff is very very good and it's able to carry it through to me to being right in the middle, right down middle of the road. And that's that's where I am with this movie. Three, I'm good with. I'm good rating it a three. I feel comfortable rating it a three. Nowhere near as good as Return to Oz. Nope. Not even comparable to the Thirty Nine Wizard of Oz. Yeah. But it's not a terrible movie in and of itself. I did have one one friend that that's on another podcast that I frequent tell me that uh, oh when you watch Oz the Great and Powerful, just forget that it's a Sam Raimi movie because it's because you're never going to see anything that that that's I'm like this is entirely a Sam Raimi movie. You can't unsee that it's everything a Sam about movie. everything about this is a Sam Raimi movie. It's not a great Sam Raimi movie. It's probably the worst Sam Raimi movie I've seen. But when those other movies are Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, Army of Darkness. Dark so Man, The Quick and the Dead, Spider Man, Spider Man Two. Maybe this is on par with Spider Man Three. Yeah, you know, as far as like being, you know, not because even Spider Man Three, I don't think it's as bad as everybody says it is. It's just not as great as the previous two. I think with Spider Man Three, I think that's. I always find with superhero movies, when the first one you have one villain, the second one you have one villain, but when you start putting too many villains into a film, that they, they tend to weaken. Oh, yeah, it, there's hard. I mean, Batman. I think the last Batman kind of weakens a little bit because you got too many people running around. You're yeah. like, by the end of the yeah. movie, you have all four main villains. I agree movie. with that. Well, yeah. the the big issue with the 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 last Batman, especially on the rewatch, because I remember I really loved it in the theater. The last the thirty minutes. Watch. What's that? The last thirty minutes. Yeah, once you catch the Riddler, what the fuck's the point of the last half hour? Well, we have to set up the sequel, but unfortunately, right. you do it in such a way that it takes thirty minutes, and you don't need to. Exactly. You could just—if the movie should have ended, the bombs going off, the Riddler laughing, the city being flooded, and movie—that would have been perfect. You—you you told your full story, you caught your villain, but did you really win? And then you lead yeah, into the, the next movie. That would have been the last perfect. half hour of the Batman should be the first thirty minutes of, of the them new taking one. out snipers at Gotham Square Garden or whatever the fuck they want to call it. It was just it, it dragged the movie to a fucking halt. It wasn't good at I, the I end. 
yeah. at the end at the end of the movie not even in the middle of the movie at the end of the movie you decided to you just start a new villain, story but no the final battle is against random incel snipers sitting on top of the scoreboard at Madison Square Garden that's, the, yeah, that's I think, what it is I, but but if they if they if they made if that was the fourth movie it says third movie and they sit there and say let's introduce Catwoman or let's introduce Bane in the third movie and then you would add one or the other for the fourth movie, and then they could have had it all round up. But when you put Catwoman's kind of like shoved to the side, she's just there. So you're not kind of like, well, I don't know what the hell she's doing. And then you got kind of Bane mumbling, which I think he probably could have used. Oh, you're titles. talking about the last one in the Nolan trilogy. I was talking about the most recent one. He's talking about the Batman, the Matt Reeves one. I was talking uh, about the Batman. Batman. Yeah, I mean, I don't Knight, think we should right? touch. I, I, yeah, Matt Reed, Matt Reed. Yeah, let's just leave him there. We <laughs> <laughs> still got our wires crossed there because I was talking about the most recent one. All that, all that man keeps. I, I, uh, I don't know. I don't keeps know. a little jet lag. He just came to the United States from the UK, so he is jet lag. We can he's forgive him. He's been jet lag his whole career, though. That's the problem. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. I don't have that much of an issue with him. I like the, the eight movie. Everything, everything, every Matt Reeves film I've seen always they all it all goes back to Sucker Punch. <laughs> Just leave it there for me. I don't know what it is. But Where was you mean Zack Snyder? There's no connection. None of it connects. It's all over the place. I think you mean Zack Snyder, not Matt Reeves. Oh, Zack Snyder. Oh, what's yeah. that? What's he Matt doing? Reeves, there was all the Batman. Did, the one with, yeah, uh, not Batman v Superman, the Batman with, with what's his name from oh, Paul Dano Batman, and Robert Batman. 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 Sorry, no, I do like Matt Reeves. Sorry, I, I, I did like the Batman, yes. I'll like I said, he's jet lagged. I was thinking of Zach, I, when you said Batman and really bad Batman movies, I was thinking Zack Snyder. Sorry. I, the the Zack Snyder Batman movies are trash. The Matt Reeve Batman movie is good up until the last twenty five minutes, where yeah. it kind of gets bloated. That's I think I think, I think yeah. that's fair. It's over. It was overrun. I think they overran yeah. time. They could have cut a good half hour out of that. They maybe. should they should have cut away to Batman trying to save people and cut back, and you have that scene with the Joker and Riddler becoming friends in the asylum, and that's how the movie should have ended. Yeah, the, you, um, you you get yeah. you get you get best of both worlds. You set up you know the long Halloween. Or whatever their story they're doing. I think they're doing a long Halloween. That's the vibe I'm getting. Long Halloween. Yeah. No, no, I totally. So, so yeah, my my verdict on Oz the Great and Powerful was three stars. And what about yourself, Sean? I say two and a half. It's right down the. I'm going to give it a fifty percent for me. I my issue is the script. It did not keep me engaged in any way. I was I I was checking out numerous times. And the thing that really was making me like the movie was the visual style of Sam Raimi and the fact that he was doing Evil Dead. When he does the Evil Dead stuff, the camera angles, the weird, shouty things that sound like the old crones, well, your souls, well, your soul, all that stuff. I like that. It makes me laugh and it, it keeps me engaged. But there was just so much going on in this movie that just checked me out I, I don't know if it was just the the characters at certain points the way that they were getting it J- james franco's acting I, I don't know i can't get into james franco performances when he's not high or at least not playing somebody who's high on screen but when, when he's when he's playing somebody who's high on screen i can believe it everything else not so much uh, on the idea that if you know if you have to if you have to like this if you have to like sam raimi's other work and see 
the Easter eggs to enjoy the movie, then yes, not very good. Down to the Oldsmobile, which is in the movie. It is in the movie. It's in the background of the movie in one shot. It's hidden somewhere. He gets the old Oldsmobile and everything. So, I mean, it's... Most of the cast from Evil Dead are in there as well, if you know where to look. That's true. If you know where to look. And when you see Bruce Campbell and you see him getting abused, you will smile. If you know the Evil Dead movie. head with a stick. I knew that was him right away. You see him, You hear his voice before you see his face and you know it's him. And you, like, and you that get, but that's Bruce the thing. Campbell, I die and you like, hear that. Bruce Campbell's. If you hear Bruce Campbell's voice in a, in a Sam Raimi feeling, in a Sam Raimi movie, you get a warm and fuzzy feel. It really does. It just like, all right, we're uh, we're we're back in, in in the action. We know know what we need to do. We got Sam. We got Bruce on screen. Uh, honestly, I I just couldn't get into it as much as as Joe did. I saw him. That's why I'm I, I couldn't two get into it. it. That's why I gave. Well, that's why I'm giving it two. That's why I'm giving it two and a half instead of three. That's the only reason why. I, I agree with you. It was hard to get into, but I think the only thing that was carrying me through it was just the the Sam Raimi isms that he and, and finding those in the Easter eggs. And like I said earlier, this wasn't like we were watching this at like 11 p.m., 1 a.m. It was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. There's we no both, reason. Uh, could, we, see, we both probably nodded off twice. We bo- we each nodded off and we each woke each other up. because You you heard me snoring. You're like, Joe, wake up. Like, oh, yeah. shit. What happened? What did I miss? Nothing. Oh, okay. <laughs> that being said, the Sam Raimi style and the opening 15 minutes where it goes in black and white, those are kind of the things that really make the movie for me. And what about yourself, Vix? I'll give it a three for the movie because I didn't really hate it as much as y'all did. And four for visual because I thought it was a pretty film. I really thought it was colorful and vibrant. And it had a lot. It it was was kind of lackluster here and there. But I kind of, I watched it twice. I kind of liked it. So. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm, y'all. I'm actually going to, for the cast, for the cast and for the visuals and for the Easter eggs, I'll give it a three. For the script and the overall film, I'm going to give it a two because I thought it was pretty. I I, I thought that I thought it was pretty, but but you're right. It, it 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 was it was kind of lackluster, but I just didn't really hate it. I just thought it was fun, yeah, and I, I didn't wanna... take it seriously. It was Sam Raimi. It's Sam Raimi. It's just fucking Sam Raimi. Yeah, but but so, the, the well. thing is, Sam Raimi can make some excellent stuff, and I yes, I think he can. I mean, a simple plan and other things that he's done. I mean, there's so many ex- excellent films that he's done, and I think he did this for the money. It just has that feel to it. Yeah, but, yeah. you know. But saying that, let's... when did his Pulse remake come out? His R-rated Pulse movie? Because there was a couple of movies that came out around this movie that he was producing that he kind of lost his ass on. Yeah, I, I don't know personally lost his ass, but I think his production company That's kind of ghost, uh... ghost ship productions, wasn't it? something like that i think i want to say he's ghost ship but i want to say he did a pulse either a pulse remake or one of the japan or the grudge did a remake of the the grudge ghost house was his uh was his production company ghost house was production company he did a remake of the he did a r-rated remake of the grudge that they were emphasizing hey it's going to be an r-rated to the point that the marketing this the word the word grudge had a red r in the actual marketing campaign just to let you know hey it's going to be r-rated it did. I saw that one. It is not good. That's the thing. Drag you. You were talking about all the time. Uh, Drag me to hell is my least favorite film of his, and it's funny. It's less than this one. Yeah, less than this one. Spider Man Three. That's interesting. Okay, Spider Man Three has charm and its stupidity. 
and I don't hate the evil Toby. Or, or yeah, I don't hate it as much as everyone else. <laughs> Toby McGuire. I, I don't hate Bully McGuire. He's been redubbed as Bully McGuire on the internet, but I don't hate Bully McGuire. Emo, 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 Tommy. I don't hate Emo, emo Toby at all. I, I, I think I not long enough. I, I, I can do the second day. The issue with him is that movie falls apart because the studio injected too much shit into it. You got to have Venom. You got to have this. You got to have that. And then by the time you get to the next movie, hey, I want to have Vulture and I want him to be played by Malkovich. Fuck you. We don't want that. Give us something else. And no one wants to see that. I, I want to see that. I want to see Malkovich in a fucking superhero movie. And I want to see him as the Vulture. That sounds genius. We get Michael Keaton. I like Michael Keaton. He didn't work as the Vulture. Malkovich would have been perfect. But that's and that's kind of the difference between the Raimi mentality and I and I why I can tolerate it with Spider-Man Three. It's not a good movie, but Drag Me to Hell. I it felt like I want to do a PG-13 movie. I'm going to inject enough stuff into it to try to make people feel comfortable. I thought it was goofy. Not scary and not fun. And Sam Raimi making a film for the Scream era. That's yeah, that's I have uh, the only way I'll get funding for a horror. I want to. I want to dip my toe into the horror well, and I want it to be successful. So I'll make a PG thirteen horror movie, and we'll market it under from the guy behind Evil Dead, the guy behind Dark Man, the guy behind Quick and the Dead. Is going to give you an R or a PG. Uh, he's going back to his horror roots, and that's what and that's how they kind of marketed the movie at. And it didn't work. It it just didn't work for me. So that's why I say that's the worst of these movies. <laughs> Well, this brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. We will be continuing, Joe Randazzle will be continuing his anthology series with Twilight Zone, the movie from 1983, and Night Gallery, the 1969 pilot movie. And of course, Doctor Who, unfortunately, will not be um, doing an episode this month due to illnesses, but they do have a special interview, which will be coming out next week, with someone who worked on the Doctor Who series from BBC. And March will be coming around. We'll be mixing the mediums with our book to screen part of a once upon a time with who censored Roger Rabbit by Gary K. Wolf, which will become the film who framed Roger Rabbit from 1988 and Batman. The animated series continues with two out of the joint catwalk Bane, and baby doll episodes. And our dark family will be also be mixing our animation and our live action with bed knobs and broomsticks from 1971 and enchanted from 2007. So it's good night for myself and good night, Vix. Night, everybody. Take care of each other. Good night, Joe. Good night, everyone. Good night, Sean. Good night, everybody. See you next week for anthologies for Twilight Zone the Movie and Night Gallery. I get the feeling we're not
Dreams. Our time is almost gone. 